This is the one with a lidless smoothie maker. A hat standoff. Tegan drawing conclusions. And a dig at the military industrial complex. It's called a Frontius. Here we Here go. Here we go. <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalent Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Tontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read all night shoes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What up? Podcast Land! And welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When? A Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. That's right, thank you very much for the reminder there. (laughs) (laughs) I am Leon, and I have the esteemed pleasure of gazing across the ether upon the visage of one of the cheeriest chappies in all of Berlin, namely Jim. Hello, Jim. Wait, hello, Leon. Hello, Podcast Land. Wow. Cheeriest chappies, that's something to live up to. I can't be uh, yeah, yeah. down in the dumps guy today then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Podcast Land, whatever he says, imagine he's saying it with a smile. I'm trying to force his rating up. <laughs> because today we are going to delight your earballs with a discussion on the subject of Frontios. Yes. Yeah. Frontios. Frontios. Yes, how, that's right. How I like to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. Is that a little yeah, bit like so- the... Uh, Mordor. Have you seen the trailer? Have you seen the teaser trailer for the new Lord of the Rings TV show? I haven't actually. No. Like, everything is just like English, 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 English. Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Actually, in my well, mind, it's the original Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide radio where they talk about Brontotol or something like that. It's that kind of <laughs> gravitas. I still haven't listened to the radio show. <sighs> Man, seriously, that's something missing from your life. Like you have. I know. To I know. That's and uh, Red Dwarf. Anywho, yes, back on anyway. topic. <laughs> Frontios. <laughs> yeah. I was led to believe before watching this. I watched this last night. You watched a, all or most of it this evening. It, fresh in your Half mind. Of it, yeah. Half of it. I was led to believe before last night that this was going to be one of the worst shit shows of Whovianism. That it was going to be terrible beyond belief, and consequently that we would have a blast uh, picking it apart. Was Instead, it that bad, would you say? Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> same page. I was expecting the same. And oh, okay. yeah. very pleasantly surprised. Like, it's not groundbreaking stuff, pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. We're going to have to try to enjoy ourselves while we just exalt this episode or serial, while we lord it, because holy moly, uh, I, I I think I might have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just, it's a divisive one and the negative Nellies are louder in this instance. Who knows? I think it's probably easy to understand why one might think that this is crap. It's certainly not a serial without its flaws, but we will definitely get into that. Oh, actually, you know what? Now I'm really looking forward to picking this apart with you. (laughs) There are things to pick apart, definitely, but there are also lots of things to praise, and I feel like I have not been praising in my reviews lately, so I'm, I'm very happy to be in this mindset for once, and I will continue this thought perhaps on the other side of the B scale. You know what? That sounds like something the cheeriest chappy in Berlin might say. Let's. 
Time for us to synopsize, verify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The Fifth Doctor and companions Tegan, Turlow and Chameleon, JK, Chameleon's just a figment of your imagination, are travelling in the TARDIS when some wibbly-wobblies take them to the far edge of space-time, outside of Time Lord jurisdiction even, and deposit them on the planet Frontios, one of the last human colonies in existence. After a decade on the planet, the human settlers are being bombarded by meteors and have imposed martial law to protect their waning society from what they perceive as interplanetary war. That's just surface-level madness, though, of course. And far more insanity can be found by anyone who dares to dig a little deeper. Taken for an alien infiltrator, the Doctor evades execution by offering his services as sleuth, medic, and diplomat to get to the bottom of it all. And thus, armed only with their wits, ancient race memory, and a hat stand, Team TARDIS must save the last of mankind in order to save themselves. But don't mention it to anyone. B-Scout over. over. You are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. like textbook B-Scout of a great serial. So where are we starting, Jim Cakes? Well, I kind of want to just continue my, my happy thoughts. And oh, yeah, here we go. the top level explanation I have for it is that I freaking loved Davison in this. And I have never right? been able to say that before. Is this the first time that he's really come into his own, do you think? And why? I I felt like like I I never really had a complaint against Davison. In the same way I've never had a complaint against Whitaker. It's always been more about what material they're given to work with. Sure. Like I I've never had an issue with either of the actors. Maybe, maybe like what they had tried to make the fifth doctor, I didn't really like this weird kind of super nice, but also an asshole. Like I just didn't ever really <laughs> buy it. And in this this one, he's funny, he's commanding. Yep. yep. He just it just really feels like the doctor. He's also mega clever. He gets to solve yes, lots of problems. He like MacGyver's situations, which is terrific. But at the same time, not but, and at the same time, he maintains this air of superiority, like very pleasant superiority, secure in the knowledge that he knows more about the situation and the goings-on than literally everyone else on screen. Yes. But without, you know, berating them for it. Exactly, which I, th- I think is a, a fun character trait of the Doctor. You know, it's, it's one of the kind of cool things that most of the time carries through, is that yeah. he or she is the cleverest person in the room, is normally one or two steps ahead of everyone else in working out what's going on and stuff. Quite often keeps things to themselves, but you don't feel annoyed by it, and no one else feels annoyed by it, because when it comes is revealed, it's like, that was the right thing to do, or, you know, it was for everyone else's benefit, sort of thing. Yeah. Also very quirky. Like there were a few there were a few elements of Doc's behavior that I feel an echo, you know, there's probably a little bit of echoing back to um, Tom Baker, but there's certainly stuff in there that you can see in Matt Smith and in Capaldi. I'll single okay, I'll single out one thing in particular. I can probably think of two or three, but like one thing in particular, do you remember like he's walking through I think this is in the in the cave. He takes a leaf off of the celery stick in his lapel, mm. crumbles it, and just like lets it drop to the ground, and that gives him an indication of airflow in the tunnels or something like that, which yeah. feels a little bit akin to, um, you know, the yo-yo or jumping up and down on the moon or you know that sort of thing, like very a silly way of determining the physics, the surrounding physics. Yeah, I enjoyed that little touch as well. Um, I'm trying to think of other little things that were a bit more quirky, but 
in general, he was definitely more playful. Um, yeah. That's, you know, that's why I mentioned the humor. Like the bit where he's trying to in- ingratiate himself with the... Oh, wait. Let me let me get this right. They are tractators. There we go. Tractators, Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he's trying to basically tell them that stuff's what they want to hear and Tegan isn't quite on board with it and is being a little bit stupid thinking that Doc's basically turned on her or whatever and then she gets mm. frozen and he he claims that she's just like a helper robot or something like that and just throws in loads of little digs about like she's not very good or she's you know <laughs> and the accent <laughs> yeah. oh god you know and it's just totally unnecessary but just really playful and yeah i like that yeah it's hilarious <laughs> she can make a hell of a cup of coffee and she's good at doing your taxes but they didn't quite get the voice right or something like that like, yeah. you can tell by her accent that she's a robot yeah i mean i think we need to put was, a pin in tegan because i feel like she might be a little hard done by here she is good but she doesn't really get an opportunity to shine properly but Doc is marvellous. Like, truly, truly marvellous. I now have him kind of in my mind. And we've discussed off-air, at least. I can't remember if it's actually in a recording where I've been basically waiting to get to the end of Davison and get on to (laughs) Colin Baker. Because it's felt like this isn't a doctor i particularly gel with and that's a real shame but this doctor in this episode this serial hell yeah watch more of that please absolutely how do you feel his interactions are with the companions like how is he dealing with the companions now compared to uh, on previous occasions i think because you brought up for example that he was quite mean on occasions before yeah i think like there's obviously a mean streak in there when he's being playful with tegan but yeah i can forgive that I can't. I can't think if he actually does. Yeah, exactly. Does he interact a lot with Turlo in this one? I feel like he doesn't really. I think they're are they mostly separated. Yeah, maybe. He asked them to do stuff. He asked them to yeah. go to the TARDIS to fetch supplies, medical supplies. He gets them to infiltrate the the colony ship and. No, you're right, actually. No, th- maybe there just isn't that much interaction between. It. Maybe he doesn't get an opportunity to be mean to them in this. One. <laughs> yeah. I think he's just, he's not really mean overall. He's not, it basically, it wasn't those two traits that I listed earlier. Like, he's not trying to be nice and then an asshole at the same time. Like, he's just taking care of situations. He's telling people to do stuff if stuff needs to get done. Or he's yeah. being playful with a companion or the actual enemy, you know, having a bit of fun. Like, the way Davison acted some of the the scenes where it's obvious, like, I think particularly the one at the end where he gets the Gravis to put the TARDIS back together. Like, Oh, so many I questions, actually, dude. I have so many questions about that. Well, yes, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But just just the way Davison's Doctor is, is there's a, it's a little bit ham-fisted, but not ham-fisted enough that it bothered me that you know he's saying this falsely and the Gravis yeah. doesn't pick up on it. And I like that. I like that it's really obvious. Like, you know, this is a family show. Kids are watching it. Sometimes you need to make it clear that this person is duping this other person. And I felt like that was done in a nice enough way. And it was generally quite, I felt, apart from one thing in particular, which we will come to, I'm sure, I felt, thought it was quite a lighthearted serial. And I think it kind of all fit together with that feeling anyway. I agree, yeah. I mean, even though there are elements of body horror and political oppression, this is yeah. kind of a feel-good serial. Yeah. No, you said it like that. It feels weird. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, what, yeah, one of my first notes is one guy dead already because we see someone, well, we thought he was dying straight away then, but it yeah. turns out he like, sort of lived on for a little bit longer. But yeah, the Captain Revere, whatever, he's dead within, I don't know, 10 seconds? Being buried under rocks? Oh, wait, hang on. Was that the dude? Was that the dude? I didn't realize that was Revere. I, think, I thought Revere yeah, was the then, dude. But Brazen then goes and shows them like the, the imprint that he left before he got entirely sucked under. It's like, that's where Captain Revere was. We buried a fake corpse. I don't want to sound like a racist, but all these humans look the same to me. Like the, the <laughs> I thought in the beginning that, I mean, sorry, it, at the end of the serial, towards the end of the serial, I thought that the chaps that we saw in the beginning of the serial, the guy who dematerialized into the soil, he was just some dude. And the guy who was looking at him dematerializing and who said like, oh, not a word, don't say a word about this, that he was Revere. But no, you're right. That must have been Revere who got sucked under. By the way, my first note is just only the people who really need helmets aren't wearing one. Why is that? <laughs> They're like conducting a mining operation, but no one's wearing any kind of protective gear, except for two dudes who are wealding guns for no reason whatsoever, and they're wearing helmets. Screw you guys. Screw you. <laughs> You're more observant than me. My, actually, my very first note was a very fancy mining operation, because, yeah, they're, <laughs> I mean, they're like military outfits, I guess, but they seem like the yeah. officers' outfits, you know, even the yeah. guys that have the helmets. Like, this is the fanciest military ever. <laughs> I love those helmets, by the way. They are snazzy AF. <laughs> do you think that the, the little neon bit around the edge, is that going to be a light, do you think? Or oh, is it just a decoration? I don't think it's meant to be a light because otherwise they would just be wearing helmets constantly instead of, you know, shaking phosphor tubes. <laughs> They don't seem yeah. to have any tech on this planet. Which, by the way, total red herring, I feel. My first assumption before realizing that the whole beaming effect is actually meant to be them being pulled under the ground. My assumption was this is a planet where tech doesn't work. You know, like it's it's a planet uh -huh. where if you have machines, they just don't work. And that that's the reason why the TARDIS suddenly fell, because like it's not booster rockets, but you know what I mean? Like it's technological capability of keeping it in orbit or keeping it away from that planet or out of reach of its gravitational pull simply would not work. Like the whole planet's a super high tech Faraday cage thing that yeah, zaps exactly. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think I, I was just confused. Like, I mean, we could talk about the TARDIS if you want, if there's uh, anything else you'd rather get onto. But the the whole thing with the TARDIS, I was confused from start to finish. <laughs> okay, so I, I have a bajillion introductory questions, and one of them is about the TARDIS, and perhaps you can regale Podcast Land and me with a very precise answer, please, Jim Cakes. <laughs> I don't um, think I can. <laughs> Is that a yes? I, I think I heard you say yes. Did the Gravis disassemble the TARDIS in the first place? What do you mean in the first place? At the, at the it, end, it, do you mean? It, no, like in the beginning. I mean, it, it it's, quote, destroyed. It's disassembled somehow. It turns out it's like dematerialized and then rematerialized in bits underneath the surface. Oh, was right. that the Gravis doing? Or am I wrong? Did that not happen? Um, I don't think it can be, because the, the dialogue later, the conversation that... I think it's the doctor talking to the Gravis, yeah. Is like, as soon as they mention the word TARDIS, like he just starts salivating. It's like, oh my god, a TARDIS. That's yeah, true. What? But I guess so it's possible why... the, the tech that they're using, like the these meteor showers and you know, these gravity thingamabobs, whatever they're called, maybe that yeah. just interfered with it. But I mean, this is the fucking TARDIS. 
Yeah. I, just, I don't buy that it can just blow up. <laughs> no, like, nor without, I. Without some serious, like, universe-altering shit happening, which is what New Who loves to do, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And also, even if it were to blow up or have some sort of weird cave wall transporter accident where it's merged with the cave, I do not accept that some weird insect subterranean crayfish is able to just wibble, wobble their hands and reassemble it. Why Why can the Gravis do that? And if the Gravis can do that, doesn't need the dock. It's been waiting to like, oh, you have a TARDIS? They find the TARDIS. What, what does the Gravis think it is when he's standing by the TARDIS door outside? It's only when he's inside the TARDIS that he goes, oh, fuck, this is a TARDIS. Yeah. I guess yeah, it's a cave, dude. You've lived here for like five hundred years. Sorry. Yeah, I guess maybe seeing the console like makes it really obvious. Other than that, it's just some random. Like it could be bits of a TARDIS, but it's just some random bits of a TARDIS that aren't helpful. But I also feel like it's played up that the, the Gravis doesn't really know what a TARDIS is. Just he just wants it. It's the dream of, of being able to get off the planet. It's just, you know, the, the golden chalice to aim for. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. I, but d- he I don't know. does seem to... Like, he knows what Time Lords are. Yeah, he has a lot of, lot of knowledge, actually. And in fact, he even has heard of the Doc himself. Oh, re- oh I, I think I missed that. That's very interesting. Yeah, by, by reputation, the, the Tractators, or the, the, the Gravis knows about the doctor i totally missed that but that makes perfect sense like that's why he doesn't go oh right hey doc uh i'm gonna turn you into the motor for my weird digging apparatus (laughs) yeah how did you okay how do you feel about the tractators and by the way not what i thought they were called i thought they were called tractators like t-u-s not ters t-o-r-s okay Uh, and consequently in my notes they are either called wittgensteins or tractanus just (laughs) (laughs) across the across the notes um i also thought like tractators as in like singular they are the tractators i thought they were sort of a hive mind thing which in a sense i suppose they are actually they they exhibiting something like that i mean the whole uh if you separate the gravis from the tractators the tractators are harmless yeah it was a little bit convenient especially as it wasn't clear to me until they then have an unconscious gravis on the tardis that that meant the the gravis was harmless i thought you know it was going to be that all the other ones would be you know you could just push them over like a dalek down the stairs or something but they'd still have to deal yeah. with the gravis but no he just passes out on the console <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, that is. In, in regards to your earliest question with them, I yeah. I actually quite liked it. I, I felt like the there's obviously a little bit of comedy that they've just got their wobbly hands and it's blatantly people in really tight costumes waddling around. Also their feet. But, also their feet. In I think it's part three or four. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, but like it, it's not just hands. In part three or four, a dude is in a cage. And the Gravis is walking towards him, like just making some menacing threats. And as he's wobbling towards him, you know, slithering towards him, you can see his feet underneath his tail. <laughs> I I looked a couple of times to see if you could see them. I actually didn't spot that. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, you love this this kind of cheesy, oh, yeah. little Absolutely. bit cheap Doctor Who stuff. I'm normally not on board, but I've, I actually really <laughs> like, like these guys. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I think the thing was that there was there was an obvious craftsmanship to the costume. Like the the shells looked really solid and hardy. Yeah. 
the face was really detailed. Okay, only the mouth moved, but and then it had weird, you know, little tendrils at the front of the mouth. Like the, there was so oh, much detail. Oh yeah, really gross. Love gone. It's because they design. can't reach up to brush their teeth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, there's some trivia about it if you're interested. Oh yeah, let's hear it, dude. Because um, inside each of those costumes is actually a, a dancer because they're meant to be modeled on kind of like woodlice and they would curl oh. up. But the costumes were made too stiff. But they got dancers in the costumes because they they thought they might be able to like wriggle around and bend over and like you know contort their contort their bodies a bit. But then the costumes were too rigid to do anything, so they left just waddling around for the entire serial. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And yet another parallel that I make with a different serial because okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I've made a note of this in in my little mini review f- for the end. But in many ways, this reminds me of a serial that I unnecessarily bashed back in the infancy of this podcast, namely the Web Planet, which has. Oh. I mean, just in. In terms of props, we've got the zombie, like the ant creatures, and here we have the the tractators. Very similar, just in terms of logistics. But also in that one, there were the um, I want to say I think they were called the Monoptera. They're, they're like the butterfly creatures, and I believe. I might need to go back and re-listen to that review. <laughs> um, but I believe that they employed dancers to play them as well and that they had like professional uh, okay. choreographers to uh, do the whole dance, you know, just to make it slightly more fluid and, and uh, artistic. But it doesn't quite translate on screen. And yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm a slightly more mature Who reviewer at this point, and I freaking love it here. Absolutely love it. Oh, well done, dancers. Is there anyone famous in there? Did they get um, members of the Bolshoi Ballet in there? They they are named as a... Uh, well, they're, they're hired from Pineapple Dance Studios, basically. Hot. I don't know what that means. Did, did they do anything? They might have appeared in some music videos or stage productions. You know, you if yeah. you were a fan of someone, some pop artist, you might have seen one of the backing dancers in one of these costumes. Who knows? <laughs> Awesome. I don't, yeah, like maybe, maybe there's some detailed information about actually who who is credited. I'm just staring at Wikipedia and I can't find that very easily. I love it. Don't dig any deeper. That's exactly the level of knowledge we need to fully appreciate Pineapple Dance Studios. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've only just realised actually the name is like you know attraction tractor beam tractator. It's all that kind of thing, isn't oh, it? Oh, I see. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's like, that's another <laughs> just incorrect translation here. Just like, I think the Gravis, I think that's because of gravity. They, they just call yes, it of course. the Gravis. <laughs> but Gravis means uh, severe. It, it, yeah. oh, oh, hang on. That's another thing that this has in common with um, the web planet. The, there was a hive mind in the web planet called the malus or the malus so like so there's a there's a hive mind or some sort of you know gestalt identity Mm. with a latin name just like there is here boom web planet tid this (laughs) this serial has been web planeted otherwise a tractator is someone who just makes a uh what's the english word for this is it tractate or tract like a ruling, a you know, someone who passes rules or writes rules is a tractator. Oh, right. In Swedish, it's tractat yeah, is the ruling. Yeah. So, like a tractator is just someone who like makes that. They make shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, 
That, that is not they the right name for that. Anyway, it planets. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Okay, how did they get here? How did they get here? They've messed about with Turlo's home planet. Need to talk about Turlo because Turlo's another one yeah. of these characters, just like Davison's, who flipping shines in this one. But so they were on his planet. They sucked a whole bunch of his uh, fellow peeps underground and ate them or whatever. We need to talk about that as well. How do they get to this one? How do they travel from planet to planet? I don't recall that being established, but I might have missed it. I did, there's a lot of things that that kind of come out in Turlo's what do they call it? They call it a uh, race memory? Race like, memory, yeah. Like ancient race memory. Which, I mean, what? Uh, but yeah, like when he's like almost in a trance-like state, like lots of stuff comes out and I didn't didn't make a lot of notes about it. Maybe something was mentioned then? I don't know. I wanted to look this up actually because I feel like we've, I mean, race memory is, it's a concept. Like it's a, it's a thing. I don't know how accurate it is, how true it is, but regardless... I feel like it's a concept we've encountered on Doctor Who before. I wanted to Google this. I never did. Hang on, I'm doing it now. Doctor Who Race Memory. Oh, there's a, there's an audio story called Race Memory. There is. Hang on. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I've I've just looked up. There there is an actual entry for the concept of race memory on Tardis Data Core. Uh, the the artist formerly known as Tardis Wikia. Just to mention a couple of things here. Humans had an ancestral fear of Silurians due to race memory. Uh, something from Doctor Who and the Silurians. Really? Humanity had race memories of transcendental beings like the Kronos in the Time Monster, uh, the Gravis mentioned here from Frontios. Oh, here we go. Uh, we reviewed the Ark in Space. Yeah, we did. That's the Wirren one. The Wirren had yeah. race memories from their larvae state, and by absorbing one member of another species could obtain that race's whole technological history for their benefit. So like, it's something wow. that we've encountered. Like that. It, it's definitely a thing in the Hooniverse. Yeah, I and don't remember that at all. in the real world. <laughs> but potentially. I say, I, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. don't remember the, uh, that from the Wirren at all. Yeah, no, nor I. I really want to rewatch that actually, and I really want to re-listen to our review because holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes! My primary lasting memory of that is Hilaria Lloyd, like just having a crazy blast <laughs> chatting about that. Like, holy smokes! Um, what were we talking about? Uh, race, race, race memory. memory uh, Turlo. Oh yeah, Turlo. About, Oh, why? Why the? Yeah, how do they how, travel? Rather. The tractators get to places. Yeah. Do they hollow out a planet, turn it into uh, Winnebago, and then travel to another planet, bombard it with bits of their Winnebago, hitch a ride on some of those bits, boom, Bob's your parents' sibling? Um, I mean, it's a theory. <laughs> I'll give yeah, you that one. <laughs> actually, that holds up. <laughs> what a dumb question. That's perfect. <laughs> Let's see what this uh, data course is about them. Because I don't remember a detail from the episode. Yeah. I guess maybe they, they can maybe they can do one way trips. Yeah. Uh, I think this makes perfect sense actually. Well, I guess you know, we talk about piloting the planet. They create a gravity motor, but I felt like that was an escape plan because they were stranded on Frontiers. I didn't feel like that was but then no, Ventolo does say that's what they do. Like he he was aware yeah. that that was something that they did. So maybe that's maybe what, that's what they, they maybe that's yeah. what they did with his planet. Maybe. And also, by the way, something we've encountered before in the Hooniverse as well. Not once, but twice in effectively the same story. In the Dalek invasion of Earth and in the Peter Cushing movie, uh, Dalek or Daleks, colon, invasion Earth. Oh, shit, I've already forgotten what it's called. Uh, <laughs> that one. 
So the Hotno and the Cushing version of that story, what the Daleks are doing is they are using human slaves to hollow out the Earth, get rid of the Earth core, put an engine in there and turn it into Winnebago. That's it. Oh, right. To have the planet to like sneak up on other planets. <laughs> um, one assumes. Yeah, because no one notices a planet sneaking up you on them. notice? Hey, dude, freaking Dean Devlin and what's his name? Roland Emmerich. They're doing it right now with the moon. Who? What? <laughs> what's it called? Moon? Moonfall? What's it called? Oh, dude, watch the trailers for this. It looks so stupid. I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> it it's, it's the new film by the guys who did, you know, Independence Day and whatever day uh, after right, okay. two days from yesterday the, the uh it, where the moon is actually something else and it's, it's like it's approaching the earth like now nah, fucking i've had enough and now it's approaching the earth is it an egg might be i think it's meant to be a spaceship and aliens are piloting it right possibly okay. tractators <laughs> yeah that would be quite a cool thing uh sorry it's massive tangent we're just car- carrying on Go for a little it. bit longer but like yeah yeah please if someone someone just took Tangents, something- that's not like this podcast sorry <laughs> Someone took something out of Doctor Who, like a tractator, you know, but it mm-hmm. wasn't put into like a Doctor Who movie. It was took, put into something else's, you know, property. And it's just like such a bizarre thing just appearing. Anyway, yeah, maybe it wouldn't be cool. No, it would be super cool. What are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> it would a be a great idea. Cool. Yes. Let's get on yeah, board. Yeah, it's I'm like the, the happiest yeah. person in Berlin. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very cheery chappy. That's exactly like, okay, it just is some examples rattling them off the top of my brain. Uh, there's that episode of MacGyver where they have basically Daleks as security guards. That's pretty rad. YouTube. <laughs> it's cool. Um, <laughs> what else? There's Bill and Ted. They're effectively traveling around in a TARDIS. Great. But they do the Bill and Ted logic of time travel, which... <laughs> that's true. Do but that they have often. a phone booth. Oh, they do true. have a phone booth. Yeah, they're very true. I'm going to go get another beer. Do it. Yeah. Cool. While you get a beer, shall we have a word from our sponsor? Oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> Mom, Jimmy raided the colony ship and took all my rations. Sounds like the ground isn't the only thing that's hungry. Not funny. You know this planet can't grow food. I'm starving. Relax. I understand full well the gravity of the situation. I've got just the thing. Try these. Potato puffs? Not quite. They're tractators. All right. Your starving little colonists will love new tractators from Funky Foods. The new survival meal with a crunchy outer shell and a soft potato-like inside. With the Gravis gone, they're quite harmless and easily cultivated. Just the thing to turn the tables on your would-be overlords. Hey, Ma, can I have some tractators too? Well, all right, but no more going retrograde. All right. Try new tractators in the frozen food section of your local food locker. They'll really suck you in. Remember, if the doc done beat them, we go and eat them. And we're back. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Beer in hand. Uh, thank you very much, Peter Zunich, the Zunmeister, for that fantastic piece of advertising genius. <laughs> also, I'm really peckish now. <laughs> yeah, me too. I could do with a bag of tractators. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, really good. <laughs> thank you is, very it's much, so Peter. good. And I feel like it lifted basically every pun from the, the cereal <laughs> and crammed it into one, <laughs> yeah, one little ad. <laughs> Yeah. Bravo. Bravo, sir. Uh, Peter, get yourself a Twitter account so that we can send people's adulations your way uh, more easily. Um, thanks, Peter. <laughs> thanks, Peter. <laughs> we okay. started talking about Turlo. Oh, sorry? Okay, yeah. 
Yeah, I was about to say where where should we go next, but Turlo was on the table, so let's let's pick him up and dust him down. Let's. I mean, yeah, yeah, hot, sure, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> the <laughs> Turlo is so much more interesting here than in previous serials. Am I right, or am I very right? Take it away, Jim. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> leading question. <laughs> you are very right with that statement. Yes. Because Great. of course he's more interesting. He has uh-huh. a story. That's right. Which we have we've been screaming for this, or you know, some kind of acknowledgement yeah. about him being alien and what that means. He has a home planet, and finally someone writes something about that. Way more. Yeah, interesting. I still don't feel like we've justified the fact that he is an alien, or you know, what he's doing on Earth, or the fact that no one's ever asked him about it before. But no, yeah, which, yeah, which is why. I agree entirely with the the statement you put out there, but I still had a lot of problems with him in this serial, even though oh. what he does is way more interesting. Like, I didn't really like the, the totally shocked, almost PTSD portrayal. I felt like that was oh. way over the top and didn't, yeah. didn't really enjoy that aspect. And like you say, we're still kind of left wanting more, as it were. Like, And it also just kind of niggled at the back of my head. It's like, alongside of like, finally something's happening with Turlo to try and explain his character, but it's also it's like, why have we gone this long without anything happening to Turlo to try to explain his character? And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, totally. it's, it's too little too late sort of thing. It's, it's not just, it's the elephant in the room. It's, he blatantly has a trunk and now they've just put a, like a rain mac over his shoulders and are pretending that he's not an elephant. surely he is like his potential is the greatest we've forgotten about chameleon entirely tegan has had tons of potential just went no fuck it i don't need it and squandered it and doc is doc like we know that we're going to keep doc forever so he is the interesting aspect traveling in the tardis at the moment surely davison's run must culminate in some kind of turlo revelation i like I'm, i'm hoping for a if not a serial, sorry, if not a double feature, then at least one serious serial set on Turlo's home world where we get some sort of justification for everything, possibly even entailing the doctor going, all right, so this is why I never talked about his trunk. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I would not get your hopes up too much. <laughs> I'm definitely not getting it. my hopes up too much. I, <laughs> I'm fully prepared for, I think his exit is coming pretty soon, actually. Oh, really? I mean, I'm not... I'm not sure what happens actually when we go over to Baker, but we're not far off from Baker's run. So no, like, this is like what, do we have four more serials or something like that? Something like that, yeah. I think so. So uh, yeah, I I would imagine he's gonna leave reasonably soon, and I'm not expecting anything more than him saying, "I want to go home." We get a TARDIS scene of him going home, and he walks out the TARDIS door or something like that, and we never see his home planet. I would be so disappointed if that's the case. Oh, I mean, there are members of Podcast Land who know exactly what happens. You know, oh, of most course. of Podcast <laughs> Land, in fact, I would wager know exactly where this is heading, and they're either applauding or going, "Oh, oh no." <laughs> <laughs> Or both. <laughs> yeah, know. or both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like, personally really enjoyed this PTSD right, stuff. But it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, arguably, best case scenario. <laughs> the, the, personally, I really enjoyed his PTSD shit. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's totally OTT, but he got to act. He got to show some range. And also, he's not, he's not the, you know, answer dick in this serial that he has been to date. He's always been like the really annoying, preppy, weird adult dressed as a schoolboy. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> that guy. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, 
everyone has their proclivities, but maybe this is one that we shouldn't dig into. Like, th there's there's something really unpleasant about the guy. But in this serial, he was helpful. He was altruistic. I I half expected him to go, you know, get it off with uh, what's her face, Roxette. You know, Doctor Fauci's daughter, <laughs> like that character. Uh, Norna, I think she was called. Norma. Norna. Norna. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not any different, really. <laughs> but it seemed like he had I... chemistry with her. Yeah, I mean, I was half expecting a romance as well. I don't think I would have liked it, but I was half expecting it because, yeah, yeah they were interacting a lot and there seemed to be... I mean, it's, it was just the, the lowest bar you need in most television <laughs> land. You have a man and a woman there getting along. <laughs> that must be romance, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but the contrast between their rapport and his rapport with literally every other intelligent creature he has encountered to date was staggering you know he yeah. it's such a positive rapport with her whereas in all other cases he i mean he's wanted to stab everyone in the back he's always just been like no this place is dangerous let's just get out of here let's leave which, everyone to their fate which he does do actually but i oh. i think i i'm on board with what you're saying though and i think that might be one of the nicest bit of writing in this script is that he does have that moment he has that moment of wanting to back out but it's it's when he's basically he knows something's up, like he's getting these senses of familiarity with the tunnels, but he hasn't yeah. yet had the the memories crash into him. And he, he wants to turn back and Norna's wanting to go on to, I forget the exact situation at that point, but probably someone else is in the tunnels and they're trying to go find them and rescue them or something. Or they're just investigating what the hell's yeah, going like on. So that, yeah, maybe her dad was down there, I, I forget, but there was a reason to carry on you know, rather than turn back. And he wanted yeah. to turn back, but it was more because of this sense of fear, but it fit this character. It fit this character who will protect himself above anything else. And he reluctantly goes on though, which fits what you're saying of like, he had a, a nicer personality in this serial, but there was still like Is this, this hint the scene underneath. where he has two coins? No, Is this that's the, like, later on. One hand? Because I the one I'm thinking scene. of was quite a, yeah I, I really love that scene as well like I think that's one of the nicest ways I've seen that done I think we've seen that yeah. a couple of times in classic Who or maybe New Who as well I don't I don't know but I think often the Doctor does something like that where it's like you know flipping a coin or holding a coin behind your back and yeah the the, the game is rigged because the Doctor always wants to help you know there's never just a, a choice about it but coming from Turlo holy shit yeah. That, that was good. It, it's like uh, he Harvey Dent's her. He's he's got his you know the the fake coin where both sides are the same. Like, hey, I'll flip a coin for you. Here, have my have my coin. Turlo I think is Two Face. He is he is Aaron Eckhart. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, there's some elements there. But yeah, just to sorry elaborate further because I I did Go I really it. really enjoyed that scene. Like you you buy it at least I did a hundred percent that he was kind of reluctantly making a decision to go help and he was leaving it up to chance. I 100% bought that hook, line, and sinker. And then when he hands her the other one afterwards, you know, I, I had the exact same reaction she did. It was like, oh, shit, man, you'd already decided. You're just, you know, maybe just wanting someone else to give you a little push or, I don't know, boost up your I confidence. I think she was super chuffed that he was, that he was going to go. Because in my mind, the most, like, Roxette, she is the most selfish, <laughs> spoiled brat in this entire serial. And I base that on really? one scene only, although now okay. I realize also that coin scene. Because there's one scene where, uh, where I think it's I think it's Doc. No, sorry, it's the chief. Chief, what's his face? Chief, the guy with the massive hair. <laughs> I was trying to think like, hey, which 
which mid which early to mid nineties porn star uh, does he have the same haircut as <laughs> Randy something? Doesn't matter. I'll cut that. The, the, uh, it's the chief. The chief goes like, "Hey, I need someone who's been down there to come with me or to come with us, perhaps chief and Doc, to show us the way." She has been down there at that point, as has her dad, Dr. Fauci, who is of an age. And Fauci goes, I, I can't remember his name now, but yeah, he's Dr. Fauci. My so Fauci goes, um, yeah, I'll go. And I absolutely expected her to say, no, dad, please stay up here. You're, you'll be safe up here. I'm young. I'm uh, strong and vivacious and capable. And I can, you know, I can outrun these subterranean alien slugs more so than you can so i'm gonna go but when her decrepit senior citizen dad goes i'll go she's just like yeah all right that's fine bye <laughs> like <laughs> nothing no remorse she is a shit so when turlo goes I... hey look at look at the other coin she's like oh thank god <laughs> thank god i don't have to sacrifice myself i i sort of remembered a bit differently definitely the turlo and norna situation i felt like no one was asking for norna to go down they they were asking for turlo to go down because they felt like he could lead them in the right direction and ultimately he does and i think it was more a question of whether he stayed out or he went down it was never a question of whether norna went in it, you know they weren't basically flipping a coin to see which one of them would go that's true no you're right that is true the dad thing you might be right about but again i didn't really i didn't really feel it that way it was more like i think most situations they felt like someone should stay above the surface because things were like their society was disintegrating and they felt like they should maybe have at least one person that can be there to make sure no one like puts the cover on the, the tunnel i guess you know yeah yeah don't put a lid on it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you make a strong argument <laughs> Because I, yeah, I did. I didn't think much of her, to be honest. She like she was, she was just sort of there. She wasn't an amazing sure. character. I vaguely recognised the actress, but I've looked through oh, really? um, things, things she's credited for, and I don't recognise anything. But you know, maybe I saw her on TV in the eighties. I was growing up. I don't know. I didn't look up trivia for this one, by the way. Did you? Um, I have looked up a bit. So range in terms of cast, range. I think is the only actor who I. I do recognize from other things when you see a, oh, that's, a more that's modern Fauci. photo of him. Yes, that's who you ever okay. Fauci. He so he was in Drop the Dead Donkey, which I did see some bits of. I don't I don't know it massively well, which I probably do recognize him from that. And he's done loads of other things, which I, I may have seen like the odd episode here and there, like Bill and Hollyoaks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But most of the cast actually, I, I didn't really recognize them. If we uh, wanted to go on to trivia, there is some really really sad trivia associated with this serial actually. Oh, oh yeah, let's. Do we want to step into that, or do you want to keep on a happy note for a while? <laughs> Shall we dip a toe in sad trivia land and then maybe cheer ourselves up with more? happy observations yeah okay let's play it that way so for so the first thing like this i'm getting this straight off wikipedia i'm assuming it's it's verified like i, I don't think people would joke around with this kind of shit so there was okay. a designer assigned to the serial called barry dobbins and he the, he died before production and it was later revealed that he killed himself which was oh goodness tragedy number one and then number one wait like of more than one yes so Peter Arne. He was originally cast to play Mr. Range, and then he was murdered, of all things. What? Like, just hours after he had been fitted for a costume. So, 
Uh, oh my god! What by who? I mean, was, Why? What? It was quite quite a while before the the air date. At least I don't know when they were actually filming it. I think back then it, it was probably like filmed reasonably close to the air date. But you know, this aired towards the end of January, early Feb, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, he was murdered in August, first of August, nineteen eighty three. So oh my you know, they were okay. obviously close to producing stuff, and yeah, last minute had to get obviously a replacement for him. I was like, what the fuck? This is, I think before we've come across some stuff where it felt like this is the Scottish play of Doctor Who. I just like, I feel like we might <laughs> yeah, have a, a, a new new front runner for that title because, uh, yeah, that's just really depressing stuff. Oof, maloof. Okay. Wait, is there more? Is there more tragedy? Uh, no, that's it. I mean, okay, good. You you want more than two people dying? <laughs> no, I'm, of tragic no, circumstances. No, no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, I don't know how to react to that. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't know how to react after reading it. Um, maybe maybe we shouldn't dwell on it too much. Um, the the other bit of trivia that, that we do have listed uh-huh. on Wikipedia is is just a just an interesting thing that. Bid Mead, who is the scriptwriter for this, had previously written Logopolis and Castrovalva. Yes, which indeed. Your brain may have already done it, but can you picture any monsters in those serials? No, you cannot, because there weren't. And he was specifically asked to put a monster in this serial, and he was not pleased by oh. that. <laughs> oh, he wasn't? No. Hmm. So it's interesting that you know he was kind of forced to do that, and he, he, he came up with this um, wood lice inspired monster because they were apparently infesting his flat <laughs> that's fantastic that's absolutely hilarious christopher bidmead seems like a total chap i remember us having a conversation about him on on the podcast I, I i can't remember which serial this was now but it was either right before or right after i had heard an interview with with chris bidmead on on another absolutely fantastic uh, doctor who podcast called new to who where they like the straight up had him on the show and he was talking about the, the writing process the production process and like how how the script maybe undergoes certain <laughs> treatments and if, if for some uh, unspeakable reason people in podcast land haven't listened to new to who first off listen to new to who it's a great show uh, secondly listen to that interview because chris bidmead seems like like a real chap i think this was a fantastic first dipping of a toe in monster territory by uh, Mr. Bidmead. Bravo, sir. Right? Bravo. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Chris Bidmead, how dare you diss yourself? You're a great dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we got, got away from all that um, sadness. Still, I mean, I'll, I'll raise a beaker for everyone who uh, sadly succumbed to the tragedy surrounding this serial. Uh, yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Yes. Um, I have, oh, I have more questions, actually. I have more, oh, I have questions, questions in my introductory question section that we haven't addressed yet. There's, there's been a preponderance of people rebelling, becoming retrogrades, as they call it. People who don't like living under the, the yoke, the heavy yoke of the military industrial complex in this serial. You just go, yeah. sort it. I'm heading off into the wilderness. I'm going to be an anarchist. Tons of them. Tons have defected. We find out towards the, maybe the middle slash end of this uh, serial, there's like no food. What happens to all the rebels? And how come some of them are still alive at the end? You know what? I, I was about to say, is this the thing that wasn't like dripped in and then never explored? So, the, But the, the looters then, were they meant to be people yeah. that had gone off into the wilderness and then come back? Because I, I thought it was like the colonists... Basically, when the leader died, or supposedly died, what is he? Yeah. Plant, Plantagenet. 
Plantagenet. He, he has the most amazing. I love name. that as a name. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> I I feel like there's there's origins to that etymology to that that I do not get, but I love it. Yeah, Plantagenet. <laughs> you know when he he disappears through the floor after a while, the normal everyday folk hear the rumor because uh, that happens at one point that they they kind of like. Oh no! It's this uh, orderly chap who I wrote down a name. What's he called? Cockerel. Yeah, Cockering, isn't it? Isn't he? I, I, he's Cockering in yeah. my nods. Yeah, he, yeah. he can be Cockering. That's fine. <laughs> this is the dude. This is the leather daddy, right? This is the yeah, dude yeah, who yeah. has like a leather <laughs> exactly. vest. Yeah, he's Cockering. His I think his name is Cockerel. <laughs> But he's cockering in my nods. Um, sorry, sorry. Tiny little bit of a it, just interpolation here. I've just googled Plantagenet. The House of Plantagenet was a royal house which originated from the lands of Anjou in France. Uh, family held the English throne from 1154 to 1485, with the final ruler of said house being Richard III. Oh wow! Yeah, that shows how poor my history knowledge is, but. <laughs> Super loved that that name is and by in the way, here. I don't That's remember great. that from the like life in the UK test. <laughs> I don't remember having to read about Plantagenet. You That's how easy it is to become a UK citizen, people, if anyone's uh, considering it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but they, yeah, orderly guy says that they've heard this rumor that he's gone. And so everyone's kind of given up. And he says like, it's, it's, you know, every man for himself type thing. And I, so I took it that yeah. everyone else that is running around looting and they go and start attacking Norna and stuff. I thought they were just. I think it might be a combination. Everyday of that. civilians. Uh, maybe, maybe you're I think right. It's a combination because uh, don't we get to see one of the retrogrades at some point, like before there is just a full-on anarchic revolution? Maybe we did, and I, I just didn't pay enough attention. You're right. That's people who like are they're part of the complex. They they are like soldiers yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Or scientists, or I don't know, who, what, the type of people you would have on a colony ship. They're still wearing, yeah. like, outfits, you know, not everyday, or, or like, ruined that's true, clothes. But, that's true, but that's kind of why I'm thinking that we get to see some retrogrades as well, because at some point we see someone who's wearing really old, tattered clothes. And I'm assuming that's that, because they've been living out in the, you know, in the prairies. Yeah. Is that the guy that grabs Norna? Possibly, yeah. But you know, it, I they think come so. Yeah, no, the, you're right. She's in grate. there by herself. Yes, exactly. So she's in there by herself. Tola's already left, or whomever she was with has already left. She's by herself. This dude in tattered clothes, signifying that he's been living with his chums in the prairies, has since then, I'm going to assume, eaten them in order to survive. Jumps on her. Then Leather Daddy Cockering shows up, jumps on him, and now yeah. he's the boss. Yeah. Uh, I have a complaint to raise about the orderly. It's a linguistic yeah, the... complaint, and it's not oh, okay. the only one. Okay. Oh, sorry? No, it's just because you call him Leather Daddy. I was going to say, is your complaint that when he turned around, you couldn't see his butt cheeks? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm quite pleased that we didn't get to see his butt cheeks, personally. There's a moment before, before Cochrane decides to go his own way. He is still employed as an orderly. And um, someone, I can't remember who, it's probably the chief, must be the chief, in fact, tells him, you're an orderly, so keep order. It's the meaning of the word. Uh, <laughs> nope, chief, that's not what an orderly is, thank you, you utter shitbag. An orderly, I googled the literal definition because obviously it's not someone who keeps order. An orderly is someone who is charged with the conveyance or execution of orders, such as an orderly sergeant, for example. So, chief... Go F yourself in the A. That is redonkulous. <laughs> I'm very Not pleased you looked that in... up. 
<laughs> yeah, because it really bugged me. I was like, no, I'm going to find the uh, yeah. Webster's Dictionary defines orderly as. Like, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> it, it definitely sounded wrong to me as well when he was saying, like, that's what an orderly does. Yeah. It's like, really? I kind of felt like they no, were... Like, you are begging to be criticized, buddy. Like, like that's not was... how you say anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, outside of the military as well, like, are they not the people in hospitals that push the... Uh, yeah, the, the beds around is that yeah, an orderly as well? Oh no, that's a porter. Oh, or is it both? I don't know. Oh, that might be a porter. Yeah, you're right. But no, you're right. I mean, there is such a thing as an orderly in a hospital. That's not someone who just like tidies the place up. That like <laughs> an orderly yeah. is not someone who alphabetizes a bookshelf. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's that's not an orderly. Oh, damn you, chief dick. <laughs> okay, since I'm on a linguistic rant here, oh, come the on, other come one on. in my in my list is I believe this is a line of docs. It's in part one. It's at the very start when we get to see all those bits of rock bombard the the planets and he calls it or someone aboard the TARDIS anyway calls it a meteorite shower well eh, wrong answer buddy a meteor becomes a meteorite when it has landed on a larger uh, planetoid a larger body in space so no that is a meteor shower if anything oh all right i need another drink um, yeah, <laughs> I feel like this came up recently. Is that in Don't Look Up, or is, or did I just see a random trivia thing online? Oh, I haven't recently? seen that yet. Is that good? Okay, I really, really want to see that. Uh, yes, I I really enjoyed it. So did so did Marie. It's um, nice. Some people have said it's crap, and I tend to think prepared to think that those people are stupid. <laughs> 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 the trailer made it seem like it was almost Armando Iannucci levels of satire, you know, like uh, the thicker bits or Veep or something. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, I, uh, staying on this tangent again, as we like to do. Sorry, podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was it was my kind of satire where it was fun with it. It was obvious what it was trying to achieve. No one could mistake it as like that person there who's saying let's not do this thing um which is the wrong thing to do you know people are cheering mm. yes that's the right thing to do you know <laughs> which a lot of satire in my mind in the last like decade has fallen into that trap where the people that you're satirizing kind of cheer it and say yes these people are so amazing and everyone else is just like holding their head just like well how did you how did you see it that way it's like because you didn't do good satire that's why <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> my rant over <laughs> <laughs> excellent rant excellent rant. you have in no way dissuaded me from watching this film by the way like i cannot wait <laughs> i hope i haven't picked it up too much like it, it's good like it's uh, yeah it's worth a watch everyone should go see it hmm. um which which obviously means just turning on your telly if you have netflix where the hell were we uh meteorites you had some introductory yes. questions pong my ping or ping my pong well, I had one kind of introductory question, which I think would be a nice segue into a character we maybe haven't talked about enough yet, which okay. is, is this the most impractical outfit any companion has ever worn? <laughs> <laughs> like, Tegan has yeah. the most ridiculously tight skirt and high oh, heels. Oh, I not noticed. What? <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, sexism aside, like... 80s uh -huh. TV doing this for the dad sort of thing aside the first yeah. like piece of kind of like walking action we get from the TARDIS team 
They literally go onto the planet and the, the meteors are falling and people are running around and they have to then kind of like run to a wounded person. And it's like, it actually looks like it's obviously a set, but it it looks like it's outdoors. Like it looks like very muddy and earthy and stuff. And you just like pretty much the first kind of motion of Tegan is in high heels running across this modern landscape. And it's just yeah, like... sporting a really no. short leather skirt. Yeah, it's like, what... Yeah. That you can, like, she doesn't, as a character, know what to wear necessarily on each thing. But you've produced this show. Like, you know (laughs) what she's going to be doing. And you (laughs) know, you've given her the short skirt and the high heels in a place that's, like, earthy, muddy. She's going to be crawling around in tunnels, all this kind of stuff. It's like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, makes sense. Makes perfect sense. All terrain high heels. (laughs) All terrain heels. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. That's an adventure skirt. <laughs> yeah, yes. It doubles as a, a dinghy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I've, the second she popped up on screen in part one, I just wrote, uh, Tegan's new outfit was probably picked out by a man. <laughs> yeah. She is there. Can we? Yeah, let's let's talk about Tegan. I'm inclined to say she both does and does not get to do as much of the good stuff that we have appreciated her for in recent times in this serial. I think the the intent is there, but I think you're right. Like the payoff is missing. Like I think there were quite a few scenes where like she goes to like she goes back to save the doc after doc has saved them. Like when they all get yeah trapped by the tractators i think the first time round and like she she always feels like she's the one that is closest to the doc i think that came across through the serial like you know i think she even says at one point like doc's my responsibility or something like this so I, i'm definitely still feeling like she's a competent companion and and she's the one that we're relying on we're definitely not relying on turlo you know this serial maybe a little bit withstanding but but then it doesn't really come to anything like doc doesn't need saving or i don't know I mean, she does some pretty badass stuff. She goes with Turlo and, I think, Roxette up into the the secret chamber inside the colony ship to steal the smoothie maker. Yeah, I think that's probably the most agency she gets, is it? I don't know. Yeah. I think when you you mention intent, I think that's spot on. It it seems as though she is... She's almost depicted as a really strong-willed and capable character in this serial, but one who is never needed, which is a bummer because in previous serials we've had mostly her being a like there being a huge need, like a real want for a capable companion, and she's just been depicted as someone who is stumbling through these adventures and doesn't know what to do. Except mm. in a couple of serials where she's just suddenly been written as super capable and clever and resourceful. And we've both just gone, yes, this is the Tegan we, we wanted to see. She's great. We really enjoy her. And maybe they've kept that character, but they've curtailed her responsibilities based on the first depiction of that character. Yeah. So I've, I've skimmed through my notes and I, I think there's a couple of things that, you know, she definitely she's contributing to the plot. I I think unquestionably, like she's the one that discovers this death's unaccountable 
yeah. en- envelope. In and then a ridiculous a weird, scene, though. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a weird scene. scene of then, oh, I've closed this drawer. Shit, now I can't open this drawer. And, yeah, yeah, I'm going to use this weird knife that's here for no reason to try to jimmy this this lock. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I mean, yeah, that scene in general is just so weird. Like what she does, and then the way that Range reacts to it when he actually wants this information to get out, you know, but yeah. I don't know. It's if just... he's keeping top secret material somewhere, why is it in in an open drawer in a an envelope that is labeled top secret material? Like <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a particular look, phrasing my that eyes he doesn't only. want. <laughs> What is it? Deaths, deaths unaccounted, or something like that. Deaths unaccounted. Uh, yeah, whatever it is. Unaccountable. Yeah. Unaccountable. No, he had to. That's not even handwritten, by the way. He had to go and print that <laughs> yeah. on an envelope. <laughs> oh, he's got one of those label makers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there, there's, there are a lot of things that she does which are impactful. It just well, she, feels she like... She saves the dog. She does, like... So that's that's a definite moment of agency. Like, she throws the glow light and it goes off like a flashbang. 100% her agency saving the dog. But then we've got the things with yeah. the, you know, deaths unaccountable. So she's she's uncovered that. She was being inquisitive. She's uncovered it. Then she mentions it to Brazen later. It didn't feel like she was doing that. Like, I don't know. It was I wasn't 100% certain anyway that she was doing that intentionally. It was, it was almost... Maybe it was a long, long shot. She thought like he might react to that. But then he literally like drags her off screen. Like, it just didn't feel like she was... Like getting like there was a plan there, and it was you know it feels a bit more hmm. you know grabbing at straws if you know even if if she had an intention, which you know wasn't a great thing to write. But then she manages to free herself when she's locked up in the medical room, and she locks Brazen in the the guy that's in charge. And that was a that is was he a the chief? Is Brazen the chief? Yeah, he's he's the head guy. Well, he's head guy after um Captain Revere is sunk. So yeah, I think I think she does do a lot of stuff. It just it always feels slightly cheapened for one reason or another, which is a real shame. Hmm. It feels like the script and the other characters are almost playing against yeah. her. Like she's still there as the capable Tegan. Yeah. We we haven't we haven't lost that in this serial, which is good. But then the serial is trying to just fuck it all up. <laughs> I still like her. Weirdly, I like her more in this than I did in the early ones when she was an idiot. You know, when she was blatantly a slapsticky idiot. Yeah, no, I, th- I think, you know, we, we both finally warmed to her, I don't know, was it like four serials ago? And it's been a bit wobbly like that, yeah. since then. Like, it kind of felt like that was a peak and we've come down. and But we've never come as low as... As we were at the start. Like, I, I still like Tegan. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's what I'm saying, yeah. She's but still it, that same lovable scamp who doesn't give a damn if her relatives are turned into action figures. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there was one moment where I felt like it really was kind of like bad Tegan moment. And I, uh-huh. I, I, don't, I don't blame her for it, but the way it's set up. So when they all end up in the TARDIS console room, there's like a split second where everyone else leaves and Tegan follows. And it's literally, literally a split second. But somehow she then discovers, like we see her on her own, like discovering the TARDIS walls and going, oh my God, the TARDIS is here. And then all the tractators turn up and she gets yeah. basically cornered and she eventually manages to find the door. But it just, in my notes, I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, how can you get separated from people in the blink yep. of an eye? Like, that's just, <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> 
Not the only thing that annoys me with that scene, because when she then opens the door and goes in, uh, the Gravis and the Tractatus, they remain outside. They're like, how on earth are we going to, what are we going to do now? They escaped. They're in front of a door. Just (laughs) open it. (laughs) Step through it. (laughs) You know what? Doors work, right? Oh, maybe you don't know how doors work. Oh, I mean, because you've been there 500 years. They can manipulate gravity, though. You'd least try and start pulling yeah. it, wouldn't you? Gravis, <laughs> you utter dick. Th- you know what? When I said he's been here 500 years, that reminded me of a third linguistic stumble in this uh, episode. Although not quite. Maybe it's not really a linguistic stumble, but it's, it's definitely like, you said one thing before, now you're saying a different thing. First, he says, only those who have been isolated for millennia truly appreciate the power of mobility. That's about, you know, they see the TARDIS and... I mean, my first thought at that point was just like, yeah, don't I know it, buddy? <laughs> you know, self-isolation and uh, whatever <laughs> uh, in Corona times. Yeah, I get it. But then shortly thereafter, he says that they were marooned on the planet 500 years before. Not the same as millennia, okay? <laughs> not the same. Maybe the Tractatus or Gravis do not know how long a year is <laughs> or how many years go into a millennium. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're speaking English. It's not going through the TARDIS translator, and English isn't their first language, and they made a mistake. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you're going to say that, then I'm going to have to bring up another thing. And this is from Miss Fauci, a.k.a. Roxette, who says, It's like something's coming up from his past, like a memory picture. Well, screw you, space colonist, because it's called a memory, all right? It's called a memory, not like a memory picture. No, that there was there were a few moments actually from her and her dad where it's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? How do you know anything about like traumatic memory experiences or, or whatever the fuck was yeah. happening? It's just like, yeah. no, but you don't like, know you... what like a light bulb is exactly. <laughs> like you haven't even been able to like work out anything to make your medicine room better. You're just no. You're basically cave people after what forty years. No. Yeah, they have some sort of engine, by the way. There's like yeah. a straight up engine that just needs a well, sorry, a motor that just needs a battery, and it's just sitting there, and no one's thought maybe let's fetch the battery. <laughs> or let's plug that motor into on something it and have people like winding it every day or so. I don't know something rather than just like yeah. Oh no, it's it's where we keep this nice plant. You know what? What other yeah. surface could we put it on? Pop some pedals on that bad boy and have cockering just. <laughs> cycle for a living like that that's it's an easy problem to solve exactly <laughs> whipping occasionally i'd love it <laughs> oh is it getting steamy in here or is it just me <laughs> <laughs> okay okay there, there there's one other character we haven't talked enough about because oh here we go i'm mostly certain i loved him and this oh, is this is who? brazen the chief the chief guy yeah okay yeah did you kind of just love him the total over-the-top shouting at everyone, but also <laughs> yeah. you couldn't help but respect him because he was getting the job done kind of character yeah. commander guy. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yes, I totally agree. Good, uh, and by good, the way, just- I did just Google it. That his hair looks exactly like the hair of uh, mid-90s porn star Randy West. Anyway, the, he, he's, <laughs> he's a... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I agree. The, he he struck a good balance. I mean, like balance within the, the within the serial of maybe even sort of fifty fifties. There were two episodes worth of this serial. He was kind of a almost a bad guy because he was so good at following orders and being yeah authoritative. You know, and then oh my God. the latter half of it. Sorry, sorry, I, I I'm cutting you Go off entirely. But please, 
because I'm so on board with your point and it just it flashed into my mind he is basically that character that Colin Baker played where he was the, oh my god yes the guard. Right. it's almost the same position where it's just yeah, following orders following orders you kind of hate him but he's doing a really good job and then he just yeah well the the situation changes and suddenly the following orders works out for the people we care about you know yeah yeah you're absolutely right that is ex- that's exactly the same character maybe character archetype that he portrays, you yeah. could probably draw like a diagram, a graph that shows his performance as the chief, compare it to the graph of Colin Baker's in whatever that episode was, and they would line up perfectly. Exactly. Um, I've got a couple of bullet points among my notes that touch upon concepts that we haven't really discussed at all, and that I wonder if it's worth having a conversation about. The TARDIS has drifted too far, quote, into the future. Like, they are... There are suddenly rules for Time Lords that the Doctor is abiding by. This whole notion of, I'll I'll save the day, but don't tell anyone, feels quite new to me. It it does, and it also feels quite bollocks to me. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, Yeah, potentially. so many issues with the way that is set up through this. So I've not seen this. I'm pretty sure that you haven't seen this yourself, but you might know about it. You know, there's a whole season coming up, maybe even the next season, I'm not sure, which is The Trial of a Time Lord. Oh, yes. Where the Time Lords are holding the Doctor accountable for his, like, crimes against Gallifreyan law, I think. I think I haven't seen it. Mm. And it felt a little bit like when they were setting, like when they were bringing this up, they might have been setting up counter arguments, you know, like that. this is basically just like evidence for the prosecution <laughs> that, yeah, here's a dude who, like there are actually, there are rules and here's a dude who's breaking them. I'm on board with that idea. And yeah. if, I mean, if it's the start of something, then I can be a bit more forgiving, you know, if the pattern develops, but because this is the first instance of it that i can really you know uh, remember anyway like maybe it comes up from time to time you know the the fixed points in time or just like we shouldn't interfere like that kind of idea does yeah, come exa- up exa- but, yes exactly but it, it ran so much through this serial like the tardis has an error on screen saying boundary error time parameters exceeded you know it's basically you know yes, what you've when? said it's like, yeah, exactly. The TARDIS can it's go anywhere. One. Anywhere, anywhere. We even like, see later doctors going literally to the end of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And then, then the idea that I think it said that this is a new colony. It's it, it's a young colony. So doctors want them to yeah. interfere with it because it's, it's this is almost like Star Trek kind of thing. It's like they haven't haven't developed enough again. Yes, the prime directive. They're, they're, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they have sort of because they developed probably developed something akin, something similar to warp drive to get to Frontios in the first well, place. Well, exactly. But, I mean, I that logic just doesn't make any sense. No, none at all. Also, I would like to point out the Doctor has interfered with the goings-on on human space colonies before. Exhibit A, the serial, Colony in Space, <laughs> which Pertwee's third Doctor goes full-on Gallifreyan um, altruist on this space colony. Saves the day. Spoiler alert. Spoilers. He picks up Leela. She is on a human colony. They've <laughs> yes. crashed and forgotten yeah. everything. He takes her. <laughs> she then goes and shacks it up with a Gallifreyan. Like, yeah. that's not interfering with stuff. About- <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. If, if we're talking about Prime Directive level shit as well, where it's like, hey, you haven't devolve, developed warp drive yet. There is no Star Trek and there's no, you know, Starship Enterprise, so we can't land on your planet. Then Doc wouldn't be here now. <laughs> like, there are plenty of episodes set in whatever the present day of that particular BBC production is, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Even now, Whitaker is visiting Earth in, you know, 2021 for example, or towards New Year 2022. There is no warp drive. She wouldn't be allowed here. No. You wouldn't yeah. be allowed. To, uh, the dog had a companion no from Troy for a while. <laughs> had had a companion who was wee little Jamie, the Highlander. Yeah, it's just it's just bonkers logic. I just don't get it. And the the, the thing that is like the cherry on the bollocks cake is the Oh, here fact we go. Love a bollocks cake. That- <laughs> There's there's a moment where basically Doc is is saying to I think it's, it's range like he's gone and basically tried to help as a medical doctor because someone's been injured yeah. so they're in and, and then that's the whole thing about you know they need to get light they need to get light he, he needs to operate and he can't see and all this kind of stuff and yeah. he's he's basically wrapping that up and it almost feels like you know job done walk away it's like oh yeah, you know, I, I I don't need any credit or anything. Range really wants people to to know about this amazing deed. And it's like, what's your name, sir? No, 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 it's fine. No, it's fine. By the way, what are, what are all these, uh, these noises outside? It's like, oh yeah, we're being attacked. Wait, hang on. You're being attacked? Well, I'm the doctor. <laughs> uh, and it just, it flips entirely. Like, it almost felt like there was this change in the parameters type thing. Like, yeah. And, but then at the end of the serial, it goes back to, oh, shush, don't tell anyone. It's like, well, which one is it, Doc? Like, were, were you throughout all of this trying to stay under the radar? If so, why halfway through did you go, by the way, I'm the doctor, I'm going to save you, blah, 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 blah. It's just, I no. think that's fine. No, I, I don't. I, mean, I, I totally get your argument. Personally, I think that's fine because I, I think the when he says, "Hey, don't tell anyone," that's all, that, that's just like a really playful way of going. Hey, I got away with it. <laughs> like uh, I saved the day. I'm a good guy, but I don't need credit for it. it it's almost like it, it makes it even extra altruistic that he says, "Don't tell anyone," because he doesn't he doesn't want the accolade. He wants to help people, but he doesn't want to be known for helping people. The the weird thing is just that he's not allowed to help people, which is bullshit. On a couple of occasions, the Gallifreyans themselves sent Doc against his will to go and save the day. Oh, right. Gallifreyans constantly interfere with shit. It's, yeah, I it's mean, that's, that's standard. We know that. Doc interferes with yeah. shit. That's standard. But I we assume... Know I, okay, hang on. What is this? This is season 21, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah, um, about trial of a time lord i want to know when oh trial of time lord is season 23 okay i was gonna say if if that were season 22 then potentially that would explain it like the bbc already has a 22 in mind they've gone all right mr bidmead chris we can call you chris right nice one uh add this element to it because we need fodder for the prosecution. But at this point, I mean, I'm assuming they have no idea uh, what they're going to do for trial. Yeah, I mean, or like, I'm they don't know what, like, that hasn't... Yeah, I'm not convinced they have that big a plan. It's mm. possible. Like, the the interesting thing, actually, uh, another bit of trivia, yeah. which I didn't actually read off Wikipedia earlier, is that during the rehearsals of this serial, Colin Baker got announced as being the new Doctor. So... Davison had already announced his leaving, his departure. So, like, maybe, maybe there were some 
early thinking of what the sixth doctor would be up to maybe and, but i feel like you have to dial things quite far back though it's have to be like when they were commissioning this script they had to have been thinking about what the sixth doctor is going to do in two seasons time yeah which i don't know that's I think, yeah no you're right i don't i don't buy that either uh, sorry minor tangent did you see only yesterday, the BBC dropped a trailer for the new DVD box set of season twenty-two. I did not. No. Yeah, it, if it I popped did, up I would on be my. Avoiding it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it popped up in my YouTube feed. There's going to be tons of bonus material. Obviously, I'm very tempted. Uh, and they showed a tiny clip of Colin Baker saying in his interview. He had just found out that Davison was leaving and he was asking, uh, th like the producer contacted him and said something like, hey, did you know that Davison was leaving? I was like, yeah, yeah I, I think I heard about that. Have you decided whom to cast next? And the producer said something like, well, I was rather hoping that you would take the role. Wow. Holy smokes. Oh, sweet Christmas. BBC, take my money. <laughs> this box set, it's, it needs to be here. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Yeah. Colin Baker. Like I mean. this, this serial definitely stood out as like I was enjoying Davison, but I'm I'm still very much looking forward to to, to moving on and enjoying yeah. a different doctor. Yeah, same. But like I, if this if this ends up the the swan song as it were for for Davison's doctor, that's great. Like if we mm. can keep keep this kind of interesting writing and, you know, fun exchanges, clever doctor just commanding the situation then it will be a hell of a exit for davison i hope i hope that's the case yeah i hope so too okay hypothesis time what do you think is going to happen to i mean we know davison's run is going to end with davison turning into colin baker what's going to happen to tegan and turlow let's say for argument's sake they remain until the end of davison first off are they both going to survive putting you on the spot here <laughs> My guess would be, yes, they're going to survive. We've already seen a companion die in Davison's run. Yeah, Adric. That's true, yeah. Adric. with Davison. I would... I would be surprised if they killed off another companion. In Earthshock. I'm yeah. assuming... I mean, both of these companions actually have already expressed a desire to go home. So... <laughs> that is true, but they when Tegan home. went home, she also found her way back to the TARDIS. She did. But then I think after that, she wanted to go home again. Didn't she? I've forgotten. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, no, that is... Right, okay, yeah, cool. I think other than Nyssa, I, I feel like they have all expressed a desire to go home. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay, any final thoughts before we jump into ratings? Is there anything in particular particular that you would like to discuss something you would like to really you know immerse yourself in something you would like to go into in depth anything in particular that you want to sort of dust off we don't just want to look at it at surface level we want to go in uh, a topic you want to penetrate uh, a particular no i just want you to find new ways of saying the same thing i'm just going to keep silent <laughs> <laughs> no yes i feel like there is still something in the room we haven't addressed which is possibly, you know, I, I might go on record here as saying, is this the darkest thing ever seen in Classic Who? When the oh, digger oof, machine comes round the corner with what looks like just straight up dead guy wired into a machine. Yeah, I mean, he's alive and but, aware. Yeah, his, his brain is still... I, I mean, I kind of hope he isn't aware. I hope it's just his brain is functioning as a... But if you talk about a mind, don't they? You're right. Yeah. He probably is aware. I mean... I think Doc Holy literally shit. says this. I think whoever it is, is it Tegan or Turlo? Someone says like, oh no, he's he, they, they've put a dead body in there. It's like, no, no, he's very much alive. Yeah. 
I mean, and Chief whoa. is turned into one of those as well. He is, but I feel like he's. I don't know. There was something because it basically just it like crashes afterwards. I don't know if he was kind of like left with a little bit of control and he just kind of. I went think that's and it. Destroyed it or something like that. Yeah, I think that's Chief going. I don't want to live the rest of my life as a shovel. I, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna just kamikaze a wall. Oof, maloof. But so there's an image I semi-associated with this, which I forget which of the Superman films it is, but one of the, you know, Christopher Reeve Superman films, maybe yeah. the third one, there's like a, a woman who is a villain and yeah. she gets pulled into this kind of circuitry wire sentient Ooh. thing and then she basically emerges as like a, a cyborg killing machine, I think. And I mean, that does ring a bell. Is that the Richard Pryor one? Maybe I I can't I can't remember. But that that basically I don't know what age I was when I first saw that. But that scared the bejesus out of me. I hated that for so long, and this just like <laughs> this brought it all back in a way. Just like this idea of this, especially when you you see it later, this digging machine and the the cables are just kind of like trying to snap onto any living thing. It's like I'm gonna gonna grab you and I'm gonna turn you into my sentient like hub machine thing it's just like oh god no shivers down yeah, the spine it, it, I, i've just google image searched some pictures of this woman being involuntarily turned into a cyborg um it is superman 3 it is the one with richard Pryor, and yeah it is creepy af yeah yikes caramba but what, what do you um, think to my to my statement of you know one of the darkest things in classic who yeah it, i think you're absolutely right it's it's also glazed over in this serial. I mean, it's treated as such a just run-of-the-mill part of life <laughs> that, that makes it even worse. And what makes it even worse still is that, I mean, the, the dude who shows up as the, I mean, I don't, I don't even know, like, why, is it? Is this really necessary technology? You've built a thing that is just a digging machine. Do you need to put a human brain in it? Like, I feel like that's a limitation in, like, in your code. When you can basically Surely control can gravity as well? Like, yeah. No. Yeah, wait, that's true. You can They're control... They have purpose. the power of summoning meteors from space. <laughs> yes. But they need a human person to sit inside a digging machine. Otherwise, there's just no way they could make a hole in the earth. Like, th that's ridiculous, yeah? But what makes it even worse is that the dude who's stuck in that is, uh, what's his face? What is his face? Dodge Ealing? What's his name? You know, the, the, the dude. Oh, the, the, the original guy is Captain Reeves or something like that. Re Captain, yeah, Captain whatever. The, uh, Captain, Re Captain Revere. Reeves, is that his name? Ca Revere, thank you. Yeah, yeah so Captain I've been Revere. influenced by Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don Cheeling, where did that come from? So Captain Revere is there. His son is in the cage looking at him. That's Revere yes. Jr., right? Yes. So Revere Jr., up to this point, has believed his dad, his father to be dead, is now trapped underground in a cage by alien beings he did not previously know existed, is shown his dad, who has been turned into a fucking shovel machine, and is being tormented, and does not react. Like, there's not a moment where Revere Jr. goes, Ah, oh, Dad! Oh my God, what have you done? You know, there's... That body horror is never acknowledged, and that makes it all the more horrific. That's so interesting. And it's not even just that as well. It's like after this reunion, the only thing left for him is to take his dad's place. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, you're right. But I think the thing that made it work, though, because I think if it had just been, you're right. It's not. It's not really addressed enough. But the thing that makes it work is it's the cliffhanger, and you know I had to think <laughs> yes, about cliffhangers. Right. But because it's the cliffhanger, you just left with that, and I I don't know actually. Do you want to go through I the think... cliffhangers? I feel like we're both going to be fully erect for this segment. <laughs> <laughs> so this, wait, 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 okay, let's just let's go through them quickly then, because it all it all mm-hmm. then piece it together a little bit. It's the yeah, only way no, I know is, how to. You know what? This. <laughs> hey, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I think this actually might be a really good serial for cliffhangers because the first episode, right. the fucking TARDIS has blown up. Holy right? moly! Yes. Holy shit, snags! What a cliffhanger! And it and it doesn't get resolved immediately. Like this is always my beef: is that you put someone in peril, and then the next episode, it's just like, oh, I've whatever square gunned my way out of it. You know, yeah, which is terrible. But actually, my first note from episode two, I don't actually know the context really. Is like Doc as a as a kind of laughing quote. Oh, marvelous! You're going to kill me. What a finely tuned response to the situation. Like I have no idea what the <laughs> that's hell. That's a great line. Had happened before that, but that's a brilliant line. Yeah, great yeah. start to episode so two. And and we haven't just unmagically <laughs> blown up the TARDIS. You know, it's it's left there. That's good. Um, yeah. Episode two, we get... Oh, yeah, Norna's already been captured by the Tractators. She's in some weird force field thing. And then they grab the dock, and he's stuck there too. Oh, my God. And it's not a simple resolution. Tegan gets to be the action hero and throws the glow lamp at them. That's right. That's yeah. a good resolution. Good stuff. Episode three, darkest shit in the universe. Wheeling out dead dad <laughs> attached to a digging oh my machine. God. Okay, so yeah, for context, okay, so air dates. So one and two were a day apart. Two okay. and three was near, nearly a week. So you so you got to sit with the docks okay. being captured a little bit longer. How long between you three and four? That's so I think the most dramatic yeah. one. So three and four was only a day. So you only had to wait a day actually okay. for that. But still, that's a, that's a that's a good thing. Yeah. Anything more than 36 hours would be too much. Like you, you would see a reduction in in your viewership only because people have either gone insane or hung hanged themselves. Like it, that is such a depressingly dark ending to part 3. Bravo yeah. BBC. Bravo Chris Bidmead. Yeah. No, I'm very very on board for these cliffhangers. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know what? There's a cliffhanger you've missed because we end the whole serial oh. on a cliffhanger. You are right. Do tell, do tell. Well, part four ends on a cliffhanger with the TARDIS being pulled towards the center of the universe, entirely out of Doc's control. No one can stop it. Goodness knows where we're heading to next. Da da da. End of Frontios. Yes. And that's good shit. Like yeah. it, it wraps off the story. We get we get closure in the story as well. Everyone is around talking about how Doc and Tegan have gone to dump the Gravis on a planet and then they come back. They donate the hat stand to them as a gesture. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. I don't know what. <laughs> you know, that all wraps up. And then we get a continuation thing. Like, this is how you end a serial. Take note, Classic Who writers. <laughs> <laughs> Who are now never yeah, writing I mean, for Classic Who. It's too late but... now, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't rewrite <laughs> the 80s and 90s. But yeah, yeah I get a TARDIS, I will. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. Um, dude, we've recorded about two hours. Shall we try to rate this? I think we better have a go at it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey la 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 la. Ratings. Shazamatron, and welcome to the hour ratings section of this uh, podcast episode. I maintain, <laughs> for posterity and for the record, that I won the fingertip on tip of nose game. But liar, uh, Jim claimed that uh, there was a delay in the in the <laughs> in the transmission, and therefore. Uh, that I had lost. Cheating, I call that, but fine. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we've we've spent like two hours talking about this episode and there are all the serial, and there are so many things left to talk about that we never that we never even touched upon. The fact that you know the line of leadership is is destroyed, and the second shithead McGillicutty, what's his face, Mister Captain Junior, was perceived dead, they all become retrogrades. Like that's how fallible society is. We didn't talk about the interesting lesson in party politics and in ethics with the, the people in charge and the military-industrial complex clearly being a pile of shit-wanking dick weasels, but the anarchical <laughs> looters robbing each other as well. That's an interesting point. We didn't talk about the fact that we get to see another end of the Earth story. Yada, 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 yada. So much to discuss, but... What I really want to point out is I have never been a fan of pan flutes. I cannot believe that that is the lasting artistic form of expression in the year goodness knows when on the planet Frontios. Pisses me off. Hate them. Sorry if uh, anyone in podcast land plays the pan flute. Uh, you've made a bad life choice. Uh, here's what I have to say about the episode itself. The doc, holy smokes, Peter Davison is flipping ace. The character is so resourceful, he makes MacGyver look like Cher Horowitz. He even does a convincing, hmm? Good show. Companions. Turlo really gets to act here. I, I, we talked about this ad nauseum, so I'm not going to go into depth, but I think he's brilliant. More of him, please. Very interesting character development. Um, I like this version of Turlo. He's courageous. He has a backstory, a bit of a charmer. Wields his intelligence for the purposes of more than just being a dingleberry. So yeah, great. Tegan, sure. Talked about her as well. She's better than she's been for a while. She's still not as good as she once was, but you know what? I'm a fan nonetheless. Uh, yeah. Well, what else is there to say? Lots of decent ancillary characters as well. Uh, Fauci, Roxette, Randy West, Cockring going full on Edgar friendly. Great stuff. Um, the foe, uh, to be clear, the costume is rubbish. It looks like a slug and a crayfish had a transporter accident and then commissioned a portrait by a chap with no artistic qualifications and a brush stuck Aww. up their bum. And I love it. The Wittgensteins are a phenomenal alien. I want to see them all the time. I would snort them in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, not the only good thing in terms of production value. The ship set. Fantastic. We didn't talk about sets. We didn't talk about the miniatures. We didn't talk about like the, the matte paintings and the, the photo of the miniature in the background while we see people running away. Like at the, at the very start of part one, we see people like scurrying from the quote unquote meteorite shower. Fuck off. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Beautiful. What this episode really has going for it, though, is pretty decent world building. Goodness knows how they got stranded on that planet or how they survived for 500 years, but I buy that they've been around the block and are parasitic shits. Part of that world building is also, you know, the degree of Time Lord intervention, or rather the lack thereof. And and we're learning about the Earth colliding with the Sun and there being a time limit to the, oh, sorry, a limit to the universe that falls outside of the Gallifreyans' perceived jurisdiction. All good stuff. Um, even if sometimes only in theory. There are plenty of flaws here as well. We've touched upon some of them in this uh, this review, uh, obviously. But chief among them is one that we didn't really discuss, and that's pacing. Nothing happens, or 
The same thing happens for huge swathes of this cereal. You know, oh, we're going to go down into the tunnels. We're coming back up. But only coming back up to say that we're going back down. You know, that sort of thing. And I think maybe it could have done with being just a three-parter. I, I, I don't want to diss it too much, but maybe that's the thing. My main takeaway, though, is the thing that I alluded to at the start. It's that, you know, if someone were to psychoanalyze me in this particular situation, they might ask if there's a particular Doctor Who cereal that I harbor tremendous regret of a misjudging at the time. And of course, there are a few of them, obviously, but among them is the web planets. And I'm getting serious web planet vibes here. And on some subconscious level, I'm certain that I'm overcompensating for regrettably treating it, <laughs> or mistreating it rather, um, at the time. But overall, like, I don't get what all the beef is about. I freaking love this cereal. I originally, before we press record, I had written 3.8 for this serial. And you might think we've unearthed a lot of flaws, so probably you've talked me down. Well, you'd be wrong, Buster, because you've talked <laughs> me up and I'm giving this a 4.0 in your face. <laughs> That's right. 4.0. Good. <laughs> Good stuff. 4.0. <laughs> <laughs> That is of great interest to me, as as we will come to discover. Um, oh, I, I have a feeling I might know what your rating is. <laughs> it's one of two things. <laughs> <laughs> one of two things, eh? <laughs> Maybe I'll just change it now to fuck with you. No. Uh, oh, okay. Foiled again. No, that, that is some good rating shit there, Leon. Thank you. I, well, you're very welcome. Okay, yeah. I... <laughs> Actually, also noted down the fact that we didn't talk about the sets and Ooh. just production value in general. And I, so oh I, God, I've got basically, yeah, it's snug and cozy and I'm enjoying it. What, what are you going on about? <laughs> so I, I've broken mine down into like thumbs up, things that made me laugh and thumbs down huh? in that okay. order is what I'm, I'm going through. So top of that, top of that list of thumbs ups, actually, well, not, not in like top of these are the best things just the first thing in the list is yeah the the sets they were interesting there were loads of them and they felt lived in as well like i really think they nailed yes. the brief with all of that stuff i think like there were there were definitely a lot of points where i i didn't even care about the set because they were so good like it just felt mm. natural and then my brain would just sort of like tune into reviewer mode and it's like hang on like this is like the fifth set like and it, they've all been incredible up to this point. Like I'm just just buying everything from the the makeshift kind of medical space to the research room that's full of legit looking equipment, but it still feels like it's been there for decades. And yeah, good stuff. As we uncovered during the review as well. Next point being positive point: the cliffhangers. They're all pretty damn amazing, and there's no cheap resolutions. Really good. Going on to characters, brazen. Yeah, I I really loved that perfect mix of. This kind of love to hate the real authoritarian, shouty, commanding guy. But you respect him for it as well. And when push comes to shove, he does the right thing. And he ends up actually being a, a sacrifice to save other people sort of thing. Yeah, I love that. I think it's it's a tropey character in a lot of respects. But I think when it's done well, I, I really enjoy seeing it. I enjoyed seeing Brazen. Mr. Range, I kind of, I kind of liked him. Like I think I, was, I warmed to him really quickly. And then he became a little bit less of an important character but i felt like he was he could have been a really great mr magoo character but didn't have oh, true, as much yeah. screen screen time as to make that really a thing but yeah 
I felt like he was a nice Mr. Magoo and just wasn't put on screen as often as those kind of characters normally are. You have a plus Tegan. Yeah, she's still there as, you know, this strong character with good motivation. And so she stays in the plus column for that. Turlo gets in the plus column because he gets some interesting backstory and he's nice. not really an asshole. And some other things will happen when we get to the negative column. Um, but <laughs> the main plus. I said really early on during this review is that the doc is really good in this. Like, I enjoyed the fact that he goes into, like, medical doctor mode straight away. Like, even, like, wartime medical doctor is just, like, just full on. Just, like, I've got a patient. I'm going to try and, like, treat them. We need more light. Or, you know, it was just so great to see him just, like, focused and commanding in, in that kind of really narrowed down role. And then there are a few other aspects where I think it's with Plantagenet. He's getting really serious about, like, how dire their situation is. And he's just like laying it all down on the line. And it's just like, this is not anything I've seen from Davison's Doctor before. And just in general, he's like trying to take control of situations. He's, and then kind of playing with it as well. Like I, I haven't mentioned the the playfulness in the plus column because there's some some jokey things I'll come to. But like at the same time as he's like telling people this is what you need to do, he's saying, yeah, I can help you, but if you're actually going to kill me, just hurry up and kill me. You know, he's... <laughs> It's just so much presence in this Doctor I've just not felt in previous serials. It's great stuff. Yeah, so that was that was kind of what I jotted down as plus things. And then into the kind of enjoyment, funny, funny area, I've got uh, a few quotes. So from a Doc talking about the TARDIS, he says, As an evasion weapon, it's about as offensive as a chicken volavon. <laughs> Loved it. That bit where he's basically said, like, I can help you, but if you're going to kill me, then just kill me. Immediately they go, okay, we're going to kill you. And he says, That's right, yeah. well, this is this wasn't what I had in mind at all. You know, and you could just imagine that coming out of Tom Baker's mouth. Like, it was that level of just rapport. It was great. But it's not just the humor from Doc. Like, I mean, this was probably meant to be a straight thing, but I, I just loved it as a, a comedy thing. Like, Plantagenet, when he's lying, having just had his heart restarted, coming around again, and Doc's saying, like, you need to have some rest. And he's just like, rest? Death is the only kind of rest you bring to Frontios. It's just like <laughs> such a over-the-top dramatic stuff. And it's just, ah, brilliant. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the weird thing where the Tractator's uh, moving the, the rock that Doc's hiding behind. And then he realizes, oh, they're actually just pulling it towards them. If I give it a little bit of a push, I can bowl them over. And yeah, there are loads of random little punny things, I think, thrown in. One of them is Doc saying, nothing that quite fits the gravity of the situation, blah, blah, blah. Oh, anyway, yeah. there, there was a lot of fun in this serial and a lot of plus points, but there were some negatives. The whole thing about not interfering, I think, isn't the biggest negative I have. I just don't understand where that came from. I don't understand the kind of flip-floppy attitude Doc presented for it, where he's trying to fly under the radar. And then I feel like if they'd addressed it head on, that it's like, oh, actually, I didn't know there was a history of the tractators invading an Earth colony and suddenly Doc goes into preserving the timeline mode. I would have bought that 100%, but it just it wasn't presented that way to me. It felt like he just made a decision like, no, I'm going to interfere now. And yes, hello, everyone, I'm the doctor. And at the end of it goes, oh, shh, but don't tell anyone, which I don't know, just felt a bit weird and didn't, didn't all kind of thing. And I have to disagree with you slightly with the whole sort of makeup of 
this society breaking down and the rebellion and all that kind of stuff, I actually felt that was a bit of a negative. It, it fell a bit flat oh. and it was just backgroundy stuff that got lost and I wasn't okay. really that engaged with. So I kind of put that as a negative. And Hysterical Turlo, I know we've already disagreed about this. I didn't really enjoy that too much. It felt, felt a bit mm. too hammy for me. And yeah, the, the yin to the yang with, uh, with Tegan as well, that even though she's still that strong character, it felt like she was a little bit robbed of the, sometimes yeah. the results, sometimes the setup, you know, but it just never felt like she was fully in control of her destiny sort of thing, which was a shame. So when I finished watching this, I gave this a 3.5. Oh, through conversations with your good self, Leon. Yeah, I actually bumped I'm so it up. Yep, to your original score, three point eight. <laughs> no way! That is an excellent rating. <laughs> Why? Thank you. Oh, awesome! <laughs> awesome stuff. Holy smogs! With two peas in a pod. Hello. Dude, do you want to see what uh, Podcast Land thinks about this? Hell yeah. Well, let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron! We are in the listener mini section of this podcast episode, and we received not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, but nine listener minis for this one, and we have decided, as we have spent most of the evening podcasting, um, that we will read three of these nine in full, and the other six we are going to read excerpts from, but we encourage you to please go to whoback1.com and read all of them in their full magical splendor. And thank you everyone. A priori, please let's say this. Thank you everyone who sent something in. We're going to start with the ones we're reading in full. So, first off, holy smokes, first out of the gate, we've got Peter Zunich. Hello, Peter. It's the Zunmeister. Hello, Peter. <laughs> Peter starts, I've seen it. I've seen it, and it's horrible. It's hideous. We must never speak of it again. It has a name. Its name is Mining Machine. <laughs> Seriously, says Peter, that prop needed a bit more work. Frontius, however, is conversely amazing. Side note on this prop, because uh-huh. I got serious um, labyrinth vibes from that. And I, I think the machine is called the Cleaner. Maybe some oh. of the podcast land will... Uh, See, I still haven't seen it. A, yeah, I know you won't get that. Someone else will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Peter continues, Tractators are extremely original monsters, whose name reminds me of Tater Tots. Hmm. Maybe we've heard something on those lines already, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) The only creatures remotely similar are the hopping cephalopods from Hartnell's web planet. Holy moly, we've got a web planet reference. That's right. Oh my god, Peter Zunage. Three peas, one pod. (laughs) It's getting crowded in here. (laughs) (laughs) Whose sonic screwdriver is that? Peter says, these guys are still limited in mobility, but superior in every other way. They're so cool in a low-budget sort of way. Totally agree. Peter Zunich continues. The caves actually look cavey. The colony is limited, but beautiful. The music complements the action. The characters are interesting. There's a perfect amount of desperation. It all just fits together so perfectly. I'm even willing to accept the coat rack gimmick, because it's been in the background since Tom's days. And beaten down colonists might just be that superstitious. The TARDIS cliffhanger was so intense when I was young, I was convinced they were abandoning the set, going back to a timering or something similar for a while. 
time ring. I don't even know what that is. Oh, Peter concludes, props to Mark Strickson, who actually enhances every scene he's in. Also, hats off to the effects department, who did a decent job across the board. Though I'd love to see a version with updated effects. One other wish would be the lighting. The story requires it to be dark everywhere, but it's just a little too dark. This incredibly rewatchable story deserves, in Peter's eyes... 4.5 4.5 steel bars that were repositioned between takes. <laughs> Holy moly, check out the big heart on Pete. <laughs> you among us. Yikes, caramba, Peter, or some stuff. Thank you very much for sending that in. Thank you very much for contributing the uh, <laughs> the ad <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> uh, Podcast Land, that may or may not be a fixture in classic reviews going forwards. Uh, no pressure, Peter. No pressure. Um, sorry. <laughs> there's, it, this episode is running long. I don't have the time to say pressure. People who are not Peter can't follow Peter on Twitter, but they can Google mind crafting. You know, like Minecraft? Now imagine mind craft. Because Peter has written not one, but two, I believe two. Peter, am I right in saying that? Two. Two books about Minecraft, or said in the Minecraft universe. Minecrafting. Check them out. You know how the internet works. Just Google it. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Awesome stuff. Oh, Ooh, sorry. I did Google the time ring, and it appeared in Revenge of the Cybermen. Oh. Oh. Who's next? Why, it's Ed Corbett or Corbett. It's Ed Corbett or Ed Corbett. That's... It's Wait, one of those. That's right, it's Ed. <laughs> That's right. Ed, I'm so sorry. I've had a lot to drink. <laughs> Hello, Ed. <laughs> Hello, Ed. How can I forget the lyrics to, like, the shortest song in the history of music? <laughs> Oh, hello, Ed. How does Ed start, Jim? Why, Ed starts with a beautiful paragraph that goes something like this. Doc and the team arrive at a time point described as the furthest ahead the Time Lords can go. Brackets. Bid me adds a needless restriction for other writers to forget about. We learn (laughs) nothing from the deadly assassin. The episode one cliffhanger is the, quote, destruction of the TARDIS, but it doesn't work as no one seriously believes it's gone, including, and it pains me to say this, the characters, based on how little they react to being marooned forever on this godforsaken world. Agree to disagree. Anyway, Ed continues, It's been noted that they've been trying to turn Turlo to the light side for a while. They then completely undermine this by having him get brazen, needlessly killed. That's right. I assume he'll die down there at some point, as even after the tractators are rendered harmless, they make no attempt to recover him. Hmm. Having the tractators be Turlo's people's Silurians and cause him to freak out didn't help either. That's a super interesting statement because that presupposes, and possibly Ed knows more about this than we do. In fact, I'm going to say probably Ed knows more about this than we do. But if the tractators are the Silurians of Turlo's people, that means that they originate on Turlo's home planet. Mm. True. Ed, you tease. Right, Ed continues, the villains this week are the Wirren 2.0, killer woodlice with telekinetic powers, which was actually a good move, as in those costumes, they were manhandling no one. (laughs) Hey, they could (laughs) flap those arms around a little bit. (laughs) Yep, that's right. Uh, So Ed concludes with... 
a buy the numbers serial with the villains of the week being consistently hindered by the budget. I did like how the Doctor managed to resolve the situation without killing them though. In fact, the lowish body count was a nice change of pace. <laughs> Don't get used to it. Though the deaths that did happen sometimes felt tacked on. Almost as if they were there to appease Nathan Turner slash Sword. It's a long time until everybody lives. Hmm. <sighs> Good freaking stuff. <laughs> what does Ed give this? Why? Ed was not very impressed with this and gives it <laughs> the amazing sum of 1.8 out of 5. Oh, Ed. Holy moly. <laughs> but this is so it, interesting. This is the side we didn't know about. Like, we, well, we I heard know. about, and now we had some reasons for, for why people hate it. So that's good. right. It's good and stuff. It it's good to hear that. Like Ed. a freaking crazy good case for himself. Well exactly. done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. Ed, thank you very much. Who's next? GP Haynes. GP. <laughs> Hello, GP <laughs> Haynes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's GP. I say G. You say P. G. P. G. P. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hello, GP Haynes. <laughs> GB <laughs> Haynes starts. Hey guys, here is my mini review for Frontios. Cheers. Oh dear, this is a pretty ridiculous story. It just doesn't do it for me, which means Leon <laughs> will probably love it. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> In place of my usual review, says GP Haynes, I'll just make a few good or bad points from each episode. Take it away, Jim. Boy, episode one, we have a good point. The hilarious line the leader makes to the radio operator. Go back to corridor duties. Love it. <laughs> episode two, bad. Tolo holds off armed guards with a deadly hat stand. Hmm, okay then. Episode three, we also get a bad with gross close-up of Turlo's mouth. Yuck. Equal with the doctor <laughs> bowling a giant ball towards tractators. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. Yeah, that's yeah. redonkulous. Dribbling Turlo. <laughs> Episode four. Good. The dog talking about Tegan to a tractator. I got a G because the walk's not quite right. And then there's the accent, of course. Wonderfully insulting to this Aussie. <laughs> Indeed. GP ends with, unfortunately, the best thing about this serial is the Blake 7 Federation-style helmets on the guards. <laughs> Sorry, Doc, not your finest. And rating is 1.8 Hulk Juice Batteries. Mm. How did we not talk about that? It's in the intro. How do we not talk about the redonkulous sequence featuring a lidless acid battery? I don't know. There was so much stuff to talk about. I mean, yes, it oh, was ridiculous. Yeah, this, I know. <laughs> it's great. It's absolutely great. Uh, GP, thank you so much for sending in this mini. It is flipping amazed tits. <laughs> and <laughs> the fact that you're from Australia... <laughs> <laughs> uh, puts your comment from for episode four into a very interesting context a really really excellent stuff thank you very much keep sending them in um podcast land this is where we stop reading minis in their full splendor and we will be reading excerpts instead uh, still very sorry uh don't hate the player hate the game they're all equally great grand and bonerific Next up, who we've got, Jim. Why, we have got Stephen, Stephen from Canada. From Canada. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. Uh, last couple of paragraphs. 
the production design is also on point with relatively convincing sets and beautiful costumes. I especially love the red and grey uniforms. They look like they were ripped right from the original Star Wars film. I would not be surprised if some of them actually were. <laughs> Too bad I have to wait five billion years for the sun to explode so they will be in fashion. I also really like the alien costumes even if they don't seem all that practical. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, that makes two of us. Stephen concludes, While I don't think this story deserves this distinction as much as other stories I have granted it to, I am bumping it up to 4.5... To 5 vertical yeah. fish bugs out of 5. Because, frankly, I just really like it. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> Like, this has literally taken us, like, three readings to understand. Stephen, you gave this five out of five, dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is in no way a a, a reference to linguistics or grammar or syntax or whatever. It's like, literally, our minds were boggled by the size of your heart. (laughs) And the uh, alcohol in our system. (laughs) Yeah, it possibly also played a part. Stephen, this is incredible. Please see a doctor. You shouldn't have that much blood coursing through your veins. This is crazy bananas. <laughs> People who are not Stephen, please go to whobackone.com, read this mini in its full splendor, and high five Stephen online. Tell him hi from us. He can be found at what? Jim Cakes? Yes, Andre Erchen. That's right. Thank you very much, Stephen. Who's, Thanks, who's Stephen. next? <laughs> it's Kieran Evans. <laughs> I don't know why that what that is. Hello, Kieran. Evans. Hello, Kieran. <laughs> Hi, Kieran. We are reading the beginning of this mini. Uh, Kieran starts. Hi, folks. So this is slow, and the monsters are a bit meh. But I feel there are a number of good to great bits in it. The depiction of Frontios is surprisingly good, especially for an entirely studio-bound production. Tegan and Turlow get a lot to do, particularly Turlow, who is finally feeling like a companion. And then we have the Davison Doctor, who... I feel is given great material here, particularly the we must not interfere bit, and then helping a few minutes later. He does actual doctor stuff. Indeed. We are skipping the rest of Kieran's review. Obviously, go to Who Back When to read it in his full splendor. We just get this last thought from Kieran. Not the best, maybe, but something I enjoy. Kieran gives this 3.5 out of 5. Oh, that is... That, I mean, you know what? Fair point. That's a that's a solid rating. Uh, people at Podcast Land, shimmy on to Kieran online. He can be found on Twitter at KJ Evans. What? Jim Cakes? Two. That's right. Brackets. The number. <laughs> Thank Not you very brackets. much, Kieran. Don't put the brackets in. Just the number two. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you, Kieran. Who's next? Who's next? <laughs> <laughs> Let's both say it's Tans. Tans? Six fingers. <laughs> Hello, Tans. Hello, Tans. AKA Ben O'Neill. Yeah, Tans, we've got a little bit from the start and then a little bit from the end. The starting bit is Frontios was Christopher H. Bidmead's final script for Doctor Who and one with some original concepts. This is the only time, I think, they have actually destroyed the TARDIS shell. Tans gives us a little quote from IMDb to say that actually they had 
an intention to just take the TARDIS out. That's right. um, we won't just read that verbatim, but Tanza's comment on that is, I can't see how they thought the show could proceed without the TARDIS. And you thought Chibnall had some ideas that rocked the show. <laughs> that is such crazy interesting trivia. I can't believe mm. how they would even entertain the notion. That's redonkulous. Anywho, snip, snippity, snip, 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 and Tanz concludes with, I saw this one and Warriors from the Deep for the first time at a Doctor Who convention in Tampa, Florida, where Peter Davison and John Nathan Turner were both in attendance. Both shows got a favorable response from the crowd. But I think the room was speechless when the TARDIS was destroyed. Yeah, I don't blame them. And Tans gives this a rating of a 3.8 out of 5. My, Solid rating from Tans. Very six good fingers. rating, Tans. <laughs> mm, solid rating from a solid dude. Jim Cakes, I really want to follow Tans Six Fingers on Twitter and or Instagram. Where can I go to do so? Well, you've just said on Instagram and on Twitter. But let's start with Twitter because you can go to Tans Six the number. Fingers, and that is just the number six, not six the number words. You know what I mean. (laughs) Anyway, so confusing. (laughs) And on Instagram, this is all in normal characters. Tan six fingers. Write them out as words. There we go. You're done. You followed him. You're happy. He's happy. <laughs> we assume that people of podcast land know how the internet works. Uh, Google Tans. You're, you're going to find Tan Six Fingers. Tans, Ben, awesome stuff. Thank you very much. Who, who's next? Have you ever, ever felt like this? Strange things happen with Kayla from Australia. <laughs> Is that the theme from Round the Twist? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> Hello, Caleb. <laughs> oh, Caleb. Uh, Caleb, we are skipping straight to the end and getting a couple of paragraphs starting like this. The spherical decorated caves are a lovely backdrop, shining an array of alien colors. The designs of the tractators are memorable, fleshy bodies bound to a rigid shell. Yet the Hot. voice of the Gravis is something better forgotten. Something like an evil pubescent teen with steel braces and uncupped hair talking into a voice distorter. (laughs) Very good imagery in my mind now. A voice more (laughs) emblematic of their telepathic abilities would have been nice. Just anything other than what we got. And Caleb concludes, each character is given some level of significance to furthering the narrative based upon their skill sets, which is something previous stories have been missing to some degree. And all in all, Caleb gives Afrontios a 4.2 out of 5 and says Frontios represents an incline in story quality from here on. Nice! Nice. Nice. Yeah, oh, more man. good stuff to look forward to. Giving me hope, Caleb. What? <laughs> oh, you better not be, be oh, toying stuff. with our hearts, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, you better not. Come find you. All the way to Australia, yeah. man. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, we're going to track <laughs> you down. <laughs> Caleb, awesome stuff. <laughs> People who are not Caleb, uh, what are you doing with your lives? Be Caleb. Um, go to whoback1.com, read Caleb's mini in its whole splendor, and try to convince Caleb to join Twitter so you can high-five him online and say hi from us. Exactly. Or actually, Thank you, Caleb. Review, sorry, reply to his review, uh, his mini review on the website and say high five. <laughs> I mean, that's also an option. What, use, use the comment area of the website that's not just pasted in from you, Leon? <laughs> Every now and then, someone adds a comment there. I, I, I just want to point that out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, who's next? We have next 
Mr. Paul Waring. Hello, Paul. No way, I can't believe it. Hello, Paul. It's it's the good staple chap that he is. He's he's always relied upon to give us a, a good review. And this is no exception. We are unfortunately missing the beginning bit because it's uh, 10 to midnight. Yeah, there's some beautiful stuff on the website. Go read the rest of that. And then we get to, in Paul's review, it's good that we get some more backstory for Turlo, who up until now has remained a bit of an enigma. And no one could accuse Mark Strickston of underacting his part. No, no, I did not. In, I did not accuse him of underacting. Anyway, <laughs> a risk shared is a risk doubled is a good line. That's a I solid line. I that down myself, actually. Same here. And it's quite funny watching Tegan's expression where the doctor pretends she is an android and not a terribly good one at that. <laughs> Uh, Paul continues, there are, as always, a few unanswered questions. Perhaps the most obvious being, why is the Doctor so bothered about being caught interfering when he's spent the last several hundred years doing exactly that, sometimes at the direct request of the Time Lords? Exactly what I said, yes. Mm. It's also a bit strange that the TARDIS is destroyed, having been indestructible up until this point. And overall, Paul says... This is a middling story. Not great, but not terrible either. And he gives this what, Jim? Why, it's that lovely round number of three out of five. Solid. Solid rating from a yeah. solid dude. Paul, yeah. thank you very much. Good stuff. What if Podcast Land wants to follow Paul on Twitter? Where can they go? Pwaring. <laughs> Pwaring, indeed. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Abrupt end to that uh, that lyric. <laughs> <laughs> thank I you thought, very I much that was the next Paul. note sorry <laughs> no no that's solid solid yeah 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 good okay great right. thanks well, paul. thank you thank you paul for the amazing review thank you uh leon for that amazing uh lyrical musical rendition piece. well you're welcome yeah 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 there we go <laughs> next up slash last up it's Michael Ridgway. 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 Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Michael's been a phenomenal chap and has contributed a list of likes and a list of boobs. We are going to take one like and a bunch of beeves. <laughs> uh, one like, possibly last like. I wouldn't call anything with the word Turlo a like, but at least he did useful things, like fend off a crack military unit with a hat stand. Yeah, sort of like. Uh, that does lead into the boobs. However, which start with, speaking of which, here's a leaving present, a hat stand. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor, but we'd prefer some food, medicine, Farming equipment. Uh, generators? No? Okay. <laughs> Just the hat stand. Oh, that's so good. That's so, so true. <laughs> Did not think about that at all. And this is, this is coming from people who, at least my interpretation at the start was, they don't know what a hat stand is. Like, for all they know, that is yeah. medical equipment. <laughs> they seem to think it was a rocket launcher. I mean, the way they reacted. Yeah. That's right. Classic hat bazooka. Yeah. Um, next. How did Turlo know all that stuff about the tractators? And if the tractators are powerful enough to pull asteroids from space, how can they struggle to drag people three feet away? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a fair question. Yep. And last up, we have, where's this non-interference prime directive nonsense suddenly come from? No idea. Snip, snippity, snip, snip, snip. And Michael concludes with a rating of 2.2 out of 5. Disappeared colonists plugged into a digger or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very good Wonderful stuff. Movie. Solid. Yeah. Stupendous. Yes. Flipping always. People who are not uh, Michael Ridgway, please go to whobackbone.com and read the, the full list of likes and the summary, which we snip, snippity, snip, snip, snipped. Uh, and when you're done with that, please high five Michael online. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. No more underscore. <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much, Michael. Bing bong. So big. Bing bong. And thank you very much, absolutely everyone who sent in a mini for this uh, this uh, Doctor Who serial. It's all absolutely wonderful, and we love hearing from you. So, Indeed. that very neatly summarizes our Doctor Who slash Frontios soiree. But this is not the end of Doctor Who, because we're going to continue. We don't have that much left. Uh, I think I mentioned this on Twitter recently. Drew calculated, you were in the WhatsApp group, Jim Case. Drew calculated that by the time we reach our 10th anniversary next year, 2023, we will be fully caught up. That's very exciting stuff. So let's speed on. Next up, we have a bonus episode. It will be the Peter Capaldi retrospective, after which we're in New Who territory with what, Jim Cakes? It's only the first bloody proper Whitaker serial, The Woman Who Fell right. to Earth. Jesus That's right. Christ, man. Dude, remind me, were you there for our instantish reaction review of that? I have to remind I myself. Like I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think you were as well. I think that means you need to be there for the proper, quote-unquote, proper review of it as well. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Again, I don't no time think to it means pressure. that, but we will see. We will see. We will see. Uh, I'll direct you to the fine Stop prowling around me, man. What are you doing? It's just so chaotic <laughs> in my head, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, what have we got coming up in next in the classic land? Oh, well, excellent question. We've got Resurrection of the Daleks. Which I believe is a Ooh. two-parter. I think it's a long two-parter. Is that right? I think oh, it's like oh yeah, two longer. This. Yeah. Anyway, I, th- I right. Okay. Well, regardless, I'm super excited. This. Yeah, I feel like this might be a good one. Yeah, I think. Um, I think the rest of Peter Davison is basically just like freaking solid gold, great, excellent stuff. Looking forward to it. I mean, um, I hope so. At some point in the hopefully not too distant future, we will be doing an audio who review as well. Uh, in which case, it will be of what, Jim? The reaping. Dang right, it will be. But that's not the only way to uh, indulge in us, Podcast Land, because you can always reach out and say hello. We'll try to say hello back. Uh, Jim, where can people find you? Why, I can, of course, be found on Twitter at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the Who, you say? Yes, you've got good ears again. Wow. Ka-ching. You've been uh, keeping them nice and clean recently. It's nice. Yep. Yeah. That's right. I got those uh, cotton cotton bob thingies that you're not meant to put in there. Yeah. But yeah. Don't don't do damn that. Damn it! Don't, I can't don't. resist. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your good self? Like people want to know what's going on in your life. How would how would they do that? Oh, I mean, that would be lovely. Hey, if anyone out there in podcast land just wants to ask what I did during my day, feel free. I'll probably tell you. <laughs> I might censor it a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, I can be found at Ponken. P-O-N-K-E-N. That's right. Just going to send you that message now. How was your day? <laughs> it was great, thanks, Jim Cakes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Thank you again, everyone in Podcast Land, for listening to us for, well, it probably won't be three hours, but that's how long we've sat here. Thank you so much for listening to us. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, please be rad, be excellent, be kind to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. Take care, everyone. See ya. 
Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?